Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. The Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, Bizzlecasters, welcome back for some more Black Panther talk. I hope you enjoyed my awesome podcast with Alistair, um, who runs the Nova Stream Network um, in Australia. I'm becoming good buddies with those guys, and they have a great perspective um, on all these things, very non-American perspective, which is always um, always welcome here, here and, and everywhere. Um, I, I'm back with Matt uh, Goisman today, who actually saw this movie before me. Um, so Matt, we're going to jump in in just a sec, but I just want wanted to say um, hello and welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be back. So um, it's been a while, man, but there actually is, I have a sponsor of, of the podcast today. Um, oh, nice. It's, it's targeted audience sponsor. Um, let me just make sure. Let's see. Uh, it's from a bowl of fuck you to the haters out there, to the racists, the sexists, the Breitbart assholes, the white supremacists, the people who are lying and saying they're being harassed by black people at Black Panther screenings that they're not even yeah, going to. That. More stuff that Matt has brought up. You know what? You, you were able to hide behind The Last Jedi because there were legitimate criticisms from some Star Wars fans that you were able to mask yourself in and wrap yourself around. But this is pure bullshit. Black Panther has one of the highest first weekend audience scores since the Avengers, and yet is somehow in the 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. I am calling bullshit. I don't think this point even needs to be proved. But you know what? I am smiling while I say this, haters. And I want all of you right now to go fuck yourselves. And I'm sorry, I'm not holding back anymore. I am sick of this shit. It's bullshit. We've got white people shooting up people all over the nation, and yet this is the shit we have to hear about on our so-called news networks, online social media, and all the poison everywhere. Um, so yeah, that was a big bowl of fuck you. Um, <laughs> Matt, thoughts? I, I think you maybe are just getting your, uh, you're going to some <laughs> weird places for your social media stuff. I, all of the news and everything that I've seen has been positive. Yes, there seems to be a, like a, a small effort to tank the, the Ron Tomatoes. You know what? Rotten Tomatoes is crap. It's a stupid stat. Oh, we yeah. could all stand to like delegitimize its value a little bit. They're even ignoring um, it. They used to promote like or, or like advertise like audience scores, but they're not. They're only talking about the, the critic scores for this movie at this point. Because critics are the only people who one actually know what makes a good movie and what doesn't, and beyond did I enjoy this or not. And in general, they are much less prone to these sort of. I, I don't know agendas. I, I, yeah, the last Jedi, something similar happened, but there was actually some credibility to some of the complaints. This is a this is a minor force that is not really doing anything to dissuade people from seeing this movie because it is going to have a hundred ninety two million dollar opening, and it's going to make over like two hundred twenty in its first four days. It's a colossal success. I predict it's going to go over a billion dollars. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of, you know, how much box office does African countries generate? Cause I'm betting like in places like China, this is not going to do as well because I just don't know if this is a story that Chinese people are really going to be interested in. But if there is a groundswell of turnout in African nations that will conceivably make up the difference. Um, so I, this is a an amazing success. Um, and I want to start this off with a few uh, declarative statements. This is the most thoughtful bra um, movie, superhero movie I've ever seen. This is 
without question the second or the second the excuse me this is without question the best phase two or phase three marvel movie that's been made Mm -hmm. i would probably for me personally put it only behind avengers which is still maybe the best movie going experience i've ever had Um, but this is certainly a more thoughtful movie than the avengers and certainly means more to anything other than hey look we can make fusion ip movies which is kind of all avengers really proved was that this could work this means so much more than that and this will shock you this is a movie that i would actually consider seeing a second time in theaters i may wind up seeing it again sometime this week wow that's a huge endorsement people for maddie g who's normally i don't see any movie twice Mm. almost Yeah, this is going to be sound like a really weird comparison. I'm staying on dark. I promise it won't stay dark the whole time, but I've been watching an amazing web series uh, that's just called The Great War on YouTube, mm-hmm. where this guy who's just like uh, a very smart armchair historian with, with some background credentials d- ha- released every week, basically covered a week, once a week, every week for four years, the four years of World War One. I. I don't know if it's still ongoing or whether it's it's wrapped up. Um, it's been going on at least for two or three years. So like he'll say, you know, and he's lined it up with the actual dates of between 1914 and 1918. Such a fascinating war. We got to see some of it in Wonder Woman. I know, I mean, it's still Wonder Woman, but at the same time, we don't see a whole lot of World War One stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking like comparing the Avengers to a Black Panther, it's like saying which world war was more brutal like, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we couldn't have had World War II without the first one, but the second one also had the Holocaust and a lot of other horrible stuff. But the first one had trench warfare. Like, they're both really horrifying. You right. couldn't have had Black Panther without the Avengers in a vacuum. Which one is objectively better? That'll be uh, an interesting discussion. I don't think it matters. I, you know, uh, yeah. in my. I'm talking, yeah, I was, I couched it in. Which movie did I have the best reaction oh, sure. seeing? And as much as I did love Black Panther and probably will put it third on my f- list of favorite yeah. just superhero movies, I think I had a slightly better time at the theater just because, I, I don't know, the ragdoll fight with Loki and yeah. the I'm always angry and he punches the space turtle. Like mm-hmm. these, th- that was the best movie going experience I've ever had. Yeah, that that wasn't as much a response to you as it was the same thought process going on in my head. Right. And I think I brought this up in our Last Jedi podcast. I definitely brought this up in numerous other Star Wars podcasts and continue to talk about it more and more on my ongoing Star Wars series, which is like seeing the Last Jedi and for seeing Wonder Woman and then the Last Jedi and then the Black Panther. Those three movies have made me stop even trying to make lists at this point because <laughs> I just can't compare. You know, in such different parts of your life, you know, it's like, you know, it's like we talked about with Star Trek, you know, it's like, what's better, the next generation or Star Trek Discovery? Like, right. I mean, in my brain, Star Trek Generation's much better, but that's because I experienced it at such an impressionable time in a totally different age, you know? Sure, of course. Um, and so I know you agree with this point. I just wanted to, to restate, uh, you know, that Blank Panther has further taken me down this road. And it sounds like you're sort of in the same place of just saying, this is amazing. There are some other amazing comic movies, but this is up there with the best. Without a doubt. And I do stand by my opinion. This is the most thoughtful superhero movie I've ever seen that this really this movie has a lot to say about a lot of things, including Hollywood, which, Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, it's kind of the first thing I wanted to jump into sure. only because it was the first thought that I yeah, had, the first it. like meta thought I had watching this movie was almost every scene of this film, every character on the screen is black. And while I was watching it, I could not remember if I'd ever, to be blunt, seen a movie like that. And it crystallized in my mind how implicitly biased towards white people casting in Hollywood still is. You know, I, there was when Creed got aced out of Oscars and, and everybody was kind of thought that was bullshit, myself included, you know, that made me understand who was the, who the Academy was at the time of just old white men who couldn't identify with stories that they couldn't relate to, or couldn't see the greatness in stories they couldn't relate to. This made me think about just Hollywood as a whole. And you know, it's something to take a CGI popcorn blockbuster and have something that, and make people think about Hollywood on top of all these themes about race and colonization and, you know, uh, loyalty to country versus loyalty to leader. So, you know, this movie is thoughtful on multiple levels all at the same time. And that is damn impressive. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you know where I've stood with this property. Since yeah. you knew me, the very first podcast we talked about, I was already talking about that, this movie, and this was two and a half years ago. And it was something that, you know, I, I, I said this before on the podcast, but again, you know, in case this the first time you guys have listened to me talk about Black Panther, first of all, listen to my Alistair podcast. I go into great length about my time spent in Africa. I won't rehash it here. Matt definitely knows more about that than Alistair did, so I was like king in, king him in on it. But it's been almost 15 years since I first studied abroad and lived in Africa, went back numerous times and still have tons of friends there, became a huge part of my professional life, especially my personal life. And my prediction, man, for Black Panther, honestly, I don't think I've ever said it this way, and I, it crystallized when I saw the movie. It wasn't that I believed in Marvel or even the Black Panther property, I believed in Africa. And I felt like if Africa was given even half a chance to shine in a Black Panther film, based on mm-hmm. b- back in 2015, what was a pretty good Marvel record at the time. Yep. Uh, I, you know, um, still is. Still is, but you know, we were coming off Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. You know, the fact that people thought Ultron was like not one of the best movies just shows how great the previous films had been up to that point. Um, mm-hmm. Civil War, most people think was pretty good, um, and so forth. And I just was, I had some issues with this movie. It's definitely, I'll just say up front, I still have Avengers and I also have Wonder Woman and maybe one or two more ahead for various reasons, but mm-hmm. I was smiling ear to ear the entire time. And I just wish everybody could spend three or four weeks living in Africa where you're the only white person in a village full of black people because it completely rewires your brain. Mm -hmm. And I actually wasn't thinking that much about that during the movie, um, partially because I really did transport me back to my time in Africa. And Mm -hmm. when the white people start feeling like token characters, you know that they've accomplished something. And that was very intentional. And I actually thought they handled it very well with the contrast between um, Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw, the horrible bad guy, and Martin Freeman, who had a much bigger role in the movie than I was expecting and totally nailed his place in this film, I thought. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. And Serkis is a stand-in for apartheid. I mean, he is from johannesburg and he calls the wakandans savages despite being like the only person in the world who knows they are in fact 
the most technologically advanced civilization on Earth. I mean, his hand, his gun hand, is literally a Wakandan weapon, and he is still so racist that he calls them savages repeatedly. Um, That's a great point, yeah. He knowingly lies about it, or has his mind been so terribly rewired that he believes the shit he's spouting? Well, he's, I mean, he's racist. I mean, he thinks because of... I mean, I think it's heavily implied just simply the color of their skin. They are quote unquote savages, despite being capable of, I I mean, in the comics, Wakanda has colonized other planets. I think in a a recent arc, um, they discover a Wakandan colony on another planet from that's a thousand years old. Like in the comics, they are even further beyond what, Anything anybody else on Earth can do. I mean, they uh, they can open portals to alternate realities. They are incredibly advanced, and yet in his mind, they're still savages. And the only thing I can come back to is he calls them that because he's white and they are black. I mean, Black Panther was introduced in the Fantastic Four, so that right. tells you a lot of what you need to know. But he's also spent a lot of time hanging out with Luke Cage, and one mm-hmm. I think. The first sort of insight I had into Marvel as a podcaster was, was yes, the announcement of Chadwick Boseman, yes, the hiring of Ryan Coogler, but then seeing Ultron, and people thought that Wakanda was tacked on in Ultron. And I really have stuck by my guns in saying that I thought they did exactly what they needed to do in setting up Wakanda in Ultron um, the way they did at, at that point, but more so... Um, just the way they've been keeping this movie hype wise relatively under wraps compared to all other Disney properties. I mean, people have been super excited, but they didn't release a, a ridiculous, uh, over what's the word I'm looking for? Like they didn't release as many trailers for this movie. I don't think as a lot of their other films and they seem to be hiding some of the stuff, you know, which they're not always great at. Um, mm-hmm. Did you feel like, uh, I mean, you know me, spoilers aren't a big deal to me and plot twists and stuff like that as much as to, to people uh, who only see the movie right. once or to that's like a big thing for them. But I, I wasn't spoiled on any of that stuff. Did you feel um, like, uh, to phrase this as a question, did you, did you feel like pretty fresh going into it in terms of what was going on on screen? And, and I guess the subset to that question would be like, did it even matter because of all the other coolness that was going on if you knew like one or two things? Well, I didn't, I didn't know exactly what the plot was going to be from the trailers, which I liked. And the best thing I think the trailers hid was how awesome all the side characters in this movie were going to be. Mm. I mean, I had no idea Letitia Wright's character yes. was coming, and she was as a Shuri, and she was awesome. You know, I, I knew Denai Guerrero was in it, but I didn't know what she was going to be, and she was kick-ass. Mm. You know, I, I knew Lupito Nyong'o was in it, but I didn't know exact. I mean, I think there were a couple of comments that she was going to be Black Panther's love interest, but that is a gross misrepresentation of her character. Oh, yeah. You know, she is a spy with her own agenda, you know, her own agency. She has her whole uh, life she wants to live on her own terms. And the fact that she has a romantic history with Black Panther is largely secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the sheer... Uh, quality of the side characters and how much ass they would kick that I had no idea was coming. And I was very happy for that. So Uh, I had, I had, I have lots of thoughts. I mostly want to hear what you think about it, but I did have one thing occur to me 
that didn't really crystallize until I was talking with Alistair from Novastream about it. Um, mm-hmm. Who, by the way, is a hardcore DC guy. Like he's a Snyder guy. He likes to pile shit on Marvel, but he actually ends up liking a lot of the Marvel movies, like so many DC fans. Because they're better made. Yeah, um, and he he loved this. He said this is maybe his favorite comic book movie ever. Uh, and he actually yeah, grew up good. watching the Black Panther cartoon because oh wow, you know, like they had they aired it on BET in this country. So me yep. and you really didn't probably see it growing up. And but in no, Australia, it was on like one of their networks, and he like was like into the comic and stuff growing up, even though he's mostly a DC guy. Uh, so that was really interesting, but it occurred to me that this was a sort of reverse heart of darkness story. And you even have the two contrasting white characters that you have in heart of darkness. And then you, we also see, of course, in apocalypse now, which is the retelling, uh, retelling in Vietnam of heart of darkness where Andy circus is Marlon Brando basically. Right. And Martin right. Freeman is a better version, uh, and less twisted version of God, was that young Martin Sheen? I th- who plays? I've the- never seen Apocalypse Now. Oh, or really? Red Heart of Darkness. I know what it's about. Oh. You know, a guy goes down the river to find a, a guy who I think is an ivory dealer who basically sets himself up as a god, and it's all about the corruption of humanity's soul and all of that stuff. Yeah, uh, but you- I've never read or watched any of that stuff. Sorry. No, you don't have to apologize. So, uh, you're missing out on one of the great literary works and the great filmic works of all time. And I'm, I, I am someone not to talk about either of those things because I haven't seen Citizen Kane, Casablanca, you know, Gone with the Wind. Citizen Kane and Casablanca are both amazing films. Okay, so we are we, maybe we'll trade trade one. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, so essentially, yes, you, it can be spun as a very racist tale by Joseph Conrad of Africa, but when you read it, it's what more of what you described, which is an indictment of the horrible colonial presence in the Belgian Congo, and a man right. who has set himself up as, yes, a god who has claimed to, quote-unquote, that's the phrase going native comes from there, mm-hmm. but it, but it's, it's horribly, horribly ironic in the true literary sense, in that right. he's only adapted what he sees as the savage ways So while Andy Serkis accuses them of being savages, he is everything he accuses them of being. Absolutely. And Martin Freeman is just dragged along for the ride, like the narrator in Heart of Darkness or Martin Sheen's character in uh, Apocalypse Now. Um, I will say very quickly, man, you should watch Apocalypse Now, but for your first watching, don't watch the Redux version that floats around. It's like four hours. Watch the original, like two hour, 45 minute version. It's, it's, it holds up today filmically so well and is worth it for Marlon Brando's just completely psychotic performance at the end, um, which is very reminiscent. But anyways, but this goes the other way where he comes to the heart of, I'm sure this was on their mind. Uh, I know this was adapted from a few tales, but Martin Freeman comes to what should be the heart of darkness and Wakanda's basically placed geographically in the Congo. The Congo mm-hmm. was, you know, specifically a country that could have been Wakanda if it hadn't been colonized and raped by the yep. Europeans has everything from rubber to coltan you know like some of the most important materials on earth which we're still taking out of the congo by the way um i also made the connection to the to my the love of my life in africa botswana which actually uh-huh. used diamond wealth to sure. create a funk a more highly functional democracy that supported all of its citizens and and basically right. saved they were it's such a small country with so much aids they, the statistically they should be all dead right now 
but right. because they had diamond wealth um, and opened themselves up to science, they pioneered, helped pioneer some of the medicines that are now treating HIV people all over the continent in the world, and has basically got, gotten it under control there and funds people's health. It's free health care for life from birth to death in Botswana, and no one's starving. Not everyone's rich. There's plenty of poor farmers, but there's no starvation, no major disaster that causes you know undue suffering. So they were certainly drawing right. on some of these things. Um, but yeah, but the but the sort of reverse heart of darkness story I thought was like a really cool angle. I, I'd be curious to see you know what Kugler's influences ultimately were. I uh, don't know if what you saw as as influences in this film. Well. One of the things I found interesting is I, I looked up the language that they're speaking, and it seems to be based off of a, or it is a language called Hosa. I think it's pronounced Hosa or Kosa. Hosa, yeah, it's with a click. Hosa. It's a. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that because I can't get it right. Not it'll. <laughs> I don't want to screw that up. But that language is most commonly associated with a part of South Africa, yes. and although Kugler has said this didn't really factor into his choice to use it. Um, it's a language associated with a part of the country that really heavily resisted apartheid and is also an area that is one of the more economically destitute parts of the country as well. So I found that really interesting, and it again reinforces my idea, my belief that there are heavy influences of South African history and the rise of apartheid in this Mm -hmm. film. But it is also about a country that kind of imagines – what could an African nation become if Europe never touched it? Yep. Um, yep. You know, I, I I was listening to NPR. After you nailed all that, by the way. You nailed the only thing you didn't mention was that Nelson Mandela was a Kosa. Yes, uh, he was. Everything right. else you completely nailed. It actually there were pe- people think apartheid was like either you were in it or you weren't, but there were some like semi-free areas uh, uh, that were Kosa areas that. W- Basically, even the the white South Africans didn't want to completely fuck with. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, but it's super poor today for sure. Go ahead. You know, so where was I going with that? I'm sorry. I just was very impressed by your your history stuff. (laughs) I did my prep work. You Uh, did. So a a real interesting guy was they had somebody on NPR, Mm -hmm. a, um, a person of color, some kind of leader. I wish I knew who he was, but I came in in the middle of it. And what he talked about is how there have been movies about, you know, black identity and the black experience before, but almost all of them ultimately come back to the hardship and the trauma of black identity, you know, because of race, because of slavery, because of Jim Crow. And he said, look, it is incredibly important to always keep that, to remember that that is part of our history, but it is also amazing to have a film that imagines what a black identity or an African identity could be if it was free of all of that, that that's what this idea of Afrofuturism, which is yep. the name for this kind of artistic aesthetic really is, is it's a celebration of the limitless potential uh, and future possibility of black and pan-African identity. And, you know, it is incredibly important to also have that because it provides some kind of sense of hope that, as far as I can tell, to be black could someday not be defined by this trauma and this pain, that it could be defined by something much different and much more positive. Um, and there's never been really a movie that's done that. So, And for that, Black Panther alone is worth celebrating. 
I kind of want to add, I, although I won't have time or skills to do this. Have you ever seen any of the Everything Great videos? No. Which are the opposite of like a lot of the cynical videos that you and I talk about about movies, like where like everything wrong in Suicide Squad. Exactly. In yeah. So it's a direct response to everything wrong, where he takes some movies that I think are objectively great, some movies that some people think are great, like Rogue One, and others you know don't particularly like. Some movies that I don't can't even really defend, like Revenge of the Sith, um, and, mm-hmm. and just across the spectrum, mostly nerd stuff, but some regular movies too. But the guy does a great job of. Of coming up with the list ahead of time and the editing of the movies is spot on and he has a he has a counter in the corner and mm-hmm. he, he came across me because the Rogue One one got a lot of hits because it broke his counter like he just really loved it like I did and had so many you know and, right and so I started watching some of the other ones especially ones I don't like because it's still entertaining anyways point being I've been wanting to give you like ding 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 dings the whole time you've just been <laughs> definitely did your research man I'm impressed I am impressed even though you didn't want to take on Mosa uh, you know uh, look I've been working on my click for 15 years it is hard yeah. dog. it's only because because in Botswana, they share um, some li- uh, linguistics with South Africa because they're right next to each other. Um, it, it, even some of the national languages are the same or very right. related. And the cliques actually come from Bushmen. So okay. click languages are either Bushmen languages or like the Kosa, which is you know d- uh, the, the, the descendants of you know Bushmen mingling with local tribes and so forth. Um, which brings up an interesting point, man. Leading back to what you started with about seeing all black people on screen, mm-hmm. and this just goes to prove that you know people will say, "Well, white people like say, oh, all black people in film look the same, or whatever." Blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, Hollywood's responsible for this, and yeah. when you have one token black person in every single blockbuster movie. And they all sort of have the same look and complexion. Of course, you're going to have a whole nation of people who think that. But I mean, it's like even if you're not used to seeing a lot of black people. And again, you know, I lived in Africa, but let's just devil's advocate here. We and you grew up in the Northeast, much more diverse than other parts of the country. I think we can say. Um, sure, but there were still at the you know in the the town I grew up in my my elementary school class there was there were a few black people, but there were more. Chinese immigrants mm. than there were, uh, you know, American born, uh, black kids, uh, in my elementary school class. Like of the 60, there were more Chinese immigrants than people of color. So, you know, it, but when you have an entire cast of black actors from around America, the UK and Africa elsewhere, you know, it, even someone whose eyes would have to adjust to that, if you will, because maybe they're from a small town that they've never left in the middle of America, I have right. to think starts to be like, wow, like there, you know, like there is a lot of diversity just in the look of black people. Right. Um, and I like how they didn't they have to explain it in the movie. It was just there. Go ahead. Well, because this movie avoids tokenism and it avoids cliches. You know, when you have one black guy in an otherwise white m- movie, in most cases, that character is some kind of cliche, is some kind of just standard action movie or whatever, char- or horror movie character. And when you have, when you just repeat that that character model over and over again, you are going to cast the people that fit that mold. So you are, and you're going to dress them the same way, you're going to light them the same way, you're going to use makeup with them the same way. So yeah, they are going to wind up being very, very similar to each other. Kugler 
puts a hell of a lot of effort into making sure every character is a complete character and each one has his or her own style, you know, speech patterns, uh, lighting, makeup, costume, body language. You know, the way Okoye stands, Denai Guerrero's character, is not the way Nakia stands, is not the way uh, Shuri stands, is not the way Angela Bassett, the queen, stands. They all have a slightly different look, um, which a shout outs to this movie for for visually depicting a society that is like a unification of tribes where it seems like each tribe has its own aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have, you know, you have one tribe where one of the leaders has, um, is there a name for the, the stone disc that some, you know, uh, African tribes put in their lip. lip. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that was. But there's that's one. Not everybody yeah. does that, but there's yes. the one guy who does it, and it's incredibly elegant looking. I, you know, totally. I love the the green color palette with him and the way it was decorated. Yeah. Um, and it, so again, it's this it's this idea of imagining what would happen if an African nation went from tribal to unified country without any European influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was worried in one of our earliest talks about this that they would chicken out and equate advanced with Western, and so they would Westernize Wakanda, and I was dead wrong about that. I mean, holy shit. Um, Interesting. Uh, you know, I because I, one, I didn't know Kugler was going to do it at the time, so I didn't know yeah. who was going to make the film and how they were going to make it, but no, Kugler did an amazing job of, of making sure every every scene and stone in Wakanda carried the clear mess, you know, a clear tie to historic African art and music and, uh, fashion tradition. Mm. My two main worries going into this movie, Alexi, you just reminded me of a third one. So one of my worry was actually the opposite of what you said was that it was going to feel so African that it was going to turn people off. But because of what you talked about, you brought up the example of sort of the different clans and their look. Mm-hmm. That's something Westerners can really identify with if you're into like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or like sure. Vikings yeah. or, you know, like any Western medieval ty- or fantasy type stuff, you know. And so that I think helps a lot. Um, uh, especially, you know, being identified with animals and stuff. I think people from all over the world can, uh, can uh, at least recognize that sort of tradition. Um, my second worry was that they were going to treat the Wakandans as too good. Like, like, oh, go too far the other way and be like, they're perfect in every way and white people are responsible for all the problems. And, and by the way, politically, I would have been fine with that, but from a storytelling standpoint, that would have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. And making you realize how flawed they are, even before the twist about Michael B. Jordan right. and his dad. Um, so we'll put on the spoiler warning here, guys. As I said, we went directly into spoilers uh, and with, with, with Alistair, so I'll put the official spoiler warning on here. But the twist about you know Michael B. Jordan being the product of, of his dad's biggest mistake, arguably, um, and, and T'Challa having to deal with the failing, that, that was the, what you know, pushed things over the edge in, into all-out civil war. But 
that's we could see the flaws early on. Even the fact that such a civilized place would solve things via you know ancient drug and fighting ritual type stuff. You know what I mean? Like right. I think was very cool. But because it was such an African movie, and because Ryan Coogler was doing it, because of the cast, it, they could get away with things like having African tribal fighting. They could get away with Africans howling like apes and stuff like that right. because it was framed the way they wanted to frame it. And mm-hmm. you know, remember all the ridiculous, sometimes ridiculous talk about reclaiming things at Wesleyan. You know, it's sure. part of the stuff that I end up fighting against with some of the political correctness, where you know any group could take something back and then exaggerate it and say, you know, it, it it's just it. These are complicated things. It's like reclaiming the N word, like. I recuse myself from the N-word discussion for the most part because I understand that, you know, it's the same thing with like women in abortion, like, like that should be women's decision ultimately, you know? And so it's not that I can't have an opinion, but yeah, yes, some people can have more opinions than others. Like we can be offended if a non-Jew makes a Holocaust joke in poor taste, right? Or something like that. Or, you know what I'm saying? Um, as Jewish people, um, and so, um, and so anyways, I just liked that, that they embraced the flawed nature of it and they embraced it also with humor, which was the other, the final thing I was worried about was that it was going to be a little bit too, um, you self-serious. know, self-serious and Kings and Queens. And we all, you know, yes, my son, you are now the King and but the stuff we saw in the trailer. I was like, eh. Um, but man, with Shuri in particular, Letitia Wright early on breaking the tension with her brother, and you know, there's nothing like a great brother sister relationship to <laughs> to just lessen the ten- tension, um, especially when it's you know kings and queens and princesses and stuff, making them feel so human. Um, I have to say, dude, I, I I'll throw it back to you on this one, but. I was sold on Chadwick Boseman when he was cast because of Jackie Robinson and James Brown portrayals, but right. he killed it in the Thurgood Marshall movie, which was a pretty okay. good movie in a great performance called Marshall that not enough people saw that came out late last year. Um, it, it, what was great about it was it wasn't a traditional biopic and like showing all of his life. It was his first major case in the forties, long before he was a Supreme Court justice, Thurgood Marshall, that is. And he was defending, um, also, uh, played by, um, oh God, the guy who, um, uh, who was his right hand man who betrayed him in Black Panther. Um, that actor's Daniel name. Daniel Kaluuya. Um, mm, no, I'm thinking of someone else then. Uh, who was it? No, it was um, Brown. Um, fuck, now I'm getting people's Sterling names. Sterling K. Up. Brown? Yeah, Sterling Brown. That That's T'Chaka's brother. That's yes. Phil Longer's father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah. Sterling Brown, T'Chaka's brother. Also, by the way, uh, the... the uh, the other guy in that room. God, I'm trying to get the names up here. Everyone was amazing in this movie. Anyway, Sterling Brown was the guy that was defended by, uh, being defended by Thurgood Marshall, played by Chadwick Boseman in the movie, who was accused of raping a white woman in a right. real life story that happened a few years after the book Native Son by Richard Wright was published, but is essentially yep. the act, the, like it happened after the book and is essentially that exact story where wow. he has a pretty consensual ish, you know, very brief fling with a white woman, but because she has, in, a, in her case, an abusive white husband, she has, she can. Cox feels like she has to concoct a story to save herself that she was raped. 
um, because she, I think she thinks she's pregnant or something like that. And so he goes on trial for, you know, to get the death penalty basically, even though it's consensual. Um, and so they focus on that one story. Anyways, Thurgood Marshall was a little bit cocky in his early years and had sort of that, that, um, half cock smile that, that, that T'Challa we see in this movie have kind of early on when he's, he's overconfident, like, and deserves to be kind of overconfident, but you can already see the undoing a little bit. And Thurgood Marshall, he never really undone because it only tells this one little thing. I remember watching the movie and thinking about Black Panther because it was just a few months ago and being like, okay, I think, I think we're going to see a T'Challa with a little bit more humor than we saw in Captain America Civil War, which to be fair, took itself too seriously. And obviously the story of his dad dying was very tragic. Yeah. And it only gave him eight lines. I mean, he, he's, this is an interesting thing about, about Black Panther is, if you watch the five minutes where the UN is bombed mm-hmm. in Civil War and T'Chaka dies, mm-hmm. and you watch the post credit scene where uh, Captain America drops off Bucky and Wakanda, that is all you need to see yep. to understand Black Panther. Because to its credit, it has almost nothing to do with the larger themes of the MCU. Like, even though we're all pretty sure they have the last Infinity Stone. They never talk about it. They never say that word ever. This story is really, really, really self-contained, and I like that a lot. I'm really, I, I still think the orange gem is there, and we're going to find this out in about three fucking months. Um, well, I, we know that, that Thanos is going to attack Wakanda because there's a ton of scenes of Wakandan soldiers fighting. Yeah. So clearly he wants to go there for some reason. So he either wants the vibranium or he wants... They have the last stone, but we yeah. know they commute communicate with the souls of their ancestors and the soul stone is the one that's missing. So, I mean, there's no more movies between now and then. So where is the last one? If it's not in Wakanda, there's nowhere else that makes sense. So, right. So the, the reason I didn't want them to mention in this movie was primarily because I wanted this movie to be self-complained, uh, self-contained. And I'm once again going to give a round of applause to Kevin Feige for letting Ryan Coogler make this movie the way he wanted to. Yep. It's interesting that they forced Joss Whedon to do so much stuff who was way more established than Ryan Coogler, but didn't force Ryan Coogler to do almost any setting up. I think maybe they've learned their lesson. Um, yeah. Plus this is obviously a much more sensitive and important move, you know, material and movie uh, than, than Avengers Age of Ultron. So, you know, right. I think there's a lot of good things coming together in the decision to let them make the movie. But I also didn't want their source of power to be based on the soul gem. I wanted to be just vibranium in their culture the way it is in the comic book. And I hope we don't find out that it's, oh, it's actually the orange gem that's been giving them all this advancement over the years. I don't think that's going to be what it is. Um, no, but maybe that same meteorite that brought the vibranium to earth that's true. has that gem in it, or maybe it, you know, it was a piece of that or something. I mean, whatever, these are made up things. You can do whatever you want with it. Mm. Um, you know, it makes sense that the resource is just a metal because, again, you know, if we think about what Europe did to Africa for gold, diamonds, and a couple of other resources, it's it makes it historically interesting to an- analyze. Well, what happens if there's an African nation that had something even more valuable than like gold or rubber or uh, diamonds, and they won defending it? You know, that that's the whole. The, it's like the this, spice, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what if 
the Fremen killed every human that ever tried to land on or outsider that tried to land on Arrakis. Well, they did, to be fair. Yeah. Well, yeah, but there's still colonies that get set up. Whatever. I don't want to get into the the plot. No, I'm saying, but it wasn't for lack of trying that they did. It wasn't for lack of trying. And you get the sense Europe didn't quit trying to take the vibranium either. Nope. But the natives fought them off and thus were able to form a society completely free of European influence or engine or, you know, manipulation. Mm. Um, to your point about being afraid that Western audiences wouldn't get this story. One of the things I think Ryan Coogler did very, very smartly is make the first scene of this movie, Oakland, California, which is where Ryan Coogler was born and where his first movie Fruitvale station takes place because it's and um, where the black panthers are from <laughs> the headquarters of black panther black panther in terms of the american radical movement is from oakland california so, really yeah yeah it was based there yeah there's some great articles uh, that, I, that yeah. I even know yeah um but yes but by immediately grounding the story in american race relations it makes it much easier to to see why they're telling this story because the whole theme of this movie is you are a black nation that has the power to make the world much better for black people around the world who are disenfranchised, being killed, being marginalized, and just being left out Mm -hmm. of power everywhere but here. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Why aren't you taking a stand? Why aren't you helping? And, you know, Nakia kind of thinks about doing that in this very sort of detached intellectual way. Killmonger shows up and said, this is what we're going to do, but we're going to destroy everybody who isn't us. And at the end, Black Panther ultimately kind of comes to a fusion of those two ideas. Another interesting thing about this movie is the good guy comes around to the bad guy's way of thinking, which I've never seen happen in a superhero movie before. And he decides, okay, we are going to open our borders. We are going to become active in the communities around the world that are disenfranchised that we can help. And where does he start? Oakland. Well, to be fair, he more comes around to Lupita's way of thinking. Michael no, B's version so. is very think- selfish in the end. If anything, yeah, they make Michael B go a little crazy for story reasons. Because up until he goes totally nuts and starts burning things, you're almost like, yeah, yeah. You're kind of on no, his I, side. I, I thought Michael B, I think Killmonger is maybe... Killmonger might be better than Loki. He, he might is. be the best bad guy we've got. He's more I, dimensional. I, we'll have to see if he goes down as as classic as Loki, but he's certainly more dimensional. Yeah, I mean, some of it is Jesus. Michael B. Jordan is, oh, is an am- the best. He's he's so good. Like he's so good. The first scene where all you see is his back in yeah. a jean jacket in the British Museum. Yep. Immediately, I was like, "Wow!" It's like I am staring at this guy's jean jacket. I, this guy has yeah. incredible stage presence. It's like when you see presence. when you see uh, Hugh Jackman's back for the first time in the first X Men. You're like, "Yep, yeah. this is this is the guy." <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is a guy I want to pay attention to. Yes. Um, see, I yes. Nyango, uh, Nakia does propose the idea first, but everything about the discussion, the way it's framed, the way her body language and the way she speaks, it's all an intellectual debate that neither of them, she doesn't believe she's actually going to change her mind. She's just playing devil's advocate. He does, T'Challa doesn't change his mind until his experience with Killmonger. So whether or not he comes around to sort of Nakia's way of thinking it isn't until his experience with a bad guy that he actually decides this needs to happen. 
So again, I think it's the bad guy is the one who really changes his mind. And just really quickly, because I t- forgot in fucking two hours uh, my podcast with um, <clears throat> with Alistair to give a shout out to Daniel Kaluuya. Um, Who I didn't know was in this movie. Yeah. I, this cast is spectacular. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the greatest cast upon assemblage. Because it's easy to look back at Avengers now and be like, oh, you know. They were all huge stars, but like Chris Evans was kind of like washed up early in his career, and Chris Hemsworth just looked like a pretty face, and Robert Downey Jr. was sort of a, getting over being a drunk and a lunatic, and you know what I mean? Like Scarlett well, Scarlett Johansson was arguably the most famous of the entire Avengers uh, at that point. Johansson was a star, and Robert Downey Jr. had become one again after Iron Man, but Hemsworth was a relative unknown. Ruffalo was a, a minor, you know, was a, a B tier actor at best. Renner, the same thing could be said of them. Samuel Jackson was obviously a big star. Um, well, Ruff- he was probably the uh, biggest star at the time. Ruffalo was um, was well loved by certain indie movie audiences, but he didn't have the visibility. I mean, I don't think right. It's hard to argue that that Renner isn't a, a lesser actor than Ruffalo, but in terms of fame, yeah, maybe on the same wavelength. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think Renner had been in more mainstream films at that point, or more recent ones than Renner had. I, I was uh, more familiar with Renner had, because because uh, um, uh, what's it called is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, don't say SWAT. No, 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 no. The uh, <laughs> no, no, the one where he was nominated for an Oscar. Fucking the town. Uh, no, Ren- no Renner for um, uh, the Afghanistan not- movie, uh, the Hurt Locker. Oh, uh, um, yeah. uh, full, uh, not Full Metal Jacket. No, Hurt what Locker. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow Hurt Locker, directed yeah. Hurt Locker. Yeah, one of my faves. Um, but yeah, but yes, yeah, so, but especially right, especially if you look at the casting at the time of the beginning of Phase One, before Robert Downey Jr. had you know retaken America's heart. Because, um, yeah, I mean, look, America wanted to take Robert Downey Jr. back. They loved him in the 80s and 90s. So, w- right, w- right, right, when he was a kid in the Rat Pack or whatever. So, uh, but. Rat the, Pack, I think is what it was called. The Brat yeah. Pack, yeah. Um, and so, um, what did I say, Rat Pack? Yeah. Yeah. Brat Pack playing on the Rat Pack. Um, God, you look at those actors' careers, you could do a whole, fucking whole series of podcasts on those guys. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, you, but, yeah, but uh, just to your point, this is the greatest assemblage at time of, of seeing of the movie of talent in any, I think any film ever, including all the star Wars movies. I'm struggling to think of this many famous and acclaimed. I mean, you know how many nominations there are and given yeah, that I was this about is, to say, yeah. I mean, if you go down this list, almost all of these actors have either won or been nominated for an Emmy or an Oscar or both or both. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bozeman hasn't yet. Jordan hasn't yet. Jordan should have been for Creed. Well, Bozeman's been nominated a lot. He just hasn't won. I don't think he's been nominated for an Academy Award. He he's has. Been nominated. For Jackie he Robinson. Has? I think he what did for 42. I'll have to check on that, though. Um, I mean, he's, I don't know, like... He's acclaimed. He, the ones yeah. who haven't won that, most of them have won like NAACP Award, like mm-hmm. the Image Awards, so... Right, yeah, Writers Guild... Producers, yeah. yeah. You know, Denai Guerrera has not been nominated for any of those, but she won it. She was nominated for a Tony for her play Eclipsed. Um, mm. Real interesting interview with her on. Oh, uh, you're right about Bozeman. He hasn't yeah. been nominated for an Oscar. Wow. Yeah, he, he, you know, Bozeman, I haven't seen any of the movies he was in that, that were like that good. To be Jordan fair, Jordan should have yeah. been. 
with this academy, this yeah. new, more diverse academy, Jordan would have been nominated for Creed, no question. Oh, sure. Um, I don't know about Fruitvale Station. I've never seen it. Everyone should have been nominated for Creed. Tessa this Thompson, everyone. And they finally confirmed Tessa's not only coming back for Creed, but she's going to be as ma- even more major and doing more music. And she Is Kugler doing that movie? No, he's, he's producing it. He doesn't have time for it. So I think Stallone, Stallone was directing it. Stallone's writing or co-writing it. I don't know if he's directing it. It's supposed to come out the end of this year. They're about to start filming in, in Philly. But Tessa did a... Sorry, this is a sidebar, but it's related to Creed. So I have to say, Tessa did an interview with um, the uh, Philly Inquirer, Daily news about how much she loved uh, the city. She's an LA girl, but she mm-hmm. spent a ton of time in Philly. And because sure. she was performing in actual Philly clubs, like clubs that yep. I really like, she came early um, with some friends who are from the area and just like totally fell in love with it here. Um, cool. And so she's already like producing new music, and they're gonna be like recording here and filming. So Creed is happening. It won't be directed by Kugler. I kind of hope Stallone is doing it. If not, going to be Kugler. I mean. What are the I two mean, best Rocky movies? Rocky One and Creed, right? So for sure, yeah. I, I just, as much as I like Stallone, I have a hard time believing Stallone could get the story of Creed the same way that Coogler could. But I mean, who knows? I mean, we're, we're going to see it, so we'll find out if he pulls it off when it comes out. But you um, know, you know, because we recorded our first podcast right around the time Creed came out, and you know. I mean, we both loved it, but I couldn't stop shutting up. I couldn't shut up about that movie. Um, right. And so well, you're a Philly guy. So of course you, you were going to love it. That's true. But I'm not a Rocky me. guy. I was honestly, I had seen the original. I'm not making this up. I had seen the original Rocky. Like when I was a kid, right. Not a big, I'm not a big Stallone guy. I wasn't a big Rocky guy. I'm not a big, I do like boxing, like real boxing history. Like I'm into like Muhammad Ali and stuff like that. But you know, right. like I'm not really into my, so I actually had to go back and rewatch or watch for the first time some of the other Rocky movies and rewatch Rocky. And yes, Creed was a love tale to Philadelphia, and Ryan Coogler totally gets us. Um, but uh, but it was just such a virtuosic performance by him and, and Michael Bay um, in that movie. I th- and I thought Stallone was robbed of, of not getting supporting actor for that movie as well sure. for that year. Um, but uh, but yeah, anyway, so I, I was on board with Black Panther before Coogler came on. But once Coogler came on, I was like, <sighs> I don't know though, Matt, but look, let's, let me flip it. Uh, let's talk Marvel for a second. You know I have not been thrilled with the recent Marvel movies. I still even yep. haven't seen Spider-Man. I rewatched Doctor Strange like six months ago on a flight because I was so fucking bored on a transatlantic flight. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is mildly better than I remember in the theater. Um, I was Civil War was in the shadow of Batman v Superman. Um, yes. As I said in my last podcast, whether you loved or hated BVS affected negatively Civil War. Because if you loved BVS. And Apocalypse. And, well, forget Apocalypse, which was clearly it just Apocalypse a Apocalypse was clearly movie. dead on arrival. Yeah. But, but, but Civil War is looking back, I still think one of the better Marvel movies of the last few years. Just at the time, if you liked BVS, you're going, oh man, this is the less serious Marvel version of BVS, right? And if pretty like, much most, most people who hated Batman v Superman, uh, you're going, oh God, we have to watch superheroes fight again, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the honest trailer for Civil War was like, you saw BVS, the movie where the bad guy makes the good guys fight that everybody hated. Now see Civil War, the movie where the bad guy makes the good guys fight that everybody liked. 
And I thought I just have did not connect, even though I love the first Guardians of the Galaxy, and even though I love Taika Waititi uh, as a director who directed Thor Ragnarok, and I did laugh a lot at Thor Ragnarok. I didn't like Guardians two at all. Thor Ragnarok, I did laugh a lot, but it left me feeling like it was mocking the genre overly much to get laughs. Um, and in a self cannibalizing way, I think I tried to rewatch Guardians two recently. It just looks like shit. It just doesn't even <laughs> look good to me. Um, but I just you know, so there was a slew of like with James Gunn and and Taika Waititi of directors who always spout the whole Marvel line of like, oh, it feels like making an indie movie when you work at Marvel right. and blah blah blah. And I think they really believe it, and I think they're really putting their best foot forward. I still follow James Gunn and Taika Waititi on Twitter and stuff, and think they're great brilliant guys but it right. seemed like everyone was falling into what i've been thinking of as sort of a self-congratulatory a- endless victory lap for marvel right I and agree. for me wonder woman was the gauntlet thrown down i know all the other dceu movies have been mediocre or worse but i still think marvel needed an answer to wonder woman in terms of social relevance and new worlds you know and the fact that world that wonder woman is in greek mythology and then world war 1 and this is in i mean let's be honest like these two movies did royalty in a way that thor has not been able to nail in like six movies um, it, like is is Black right, is, is Black Panther the Ragnarok, Thor movie that sorry is Black Panther the Thor movie that we've been waiting for? I just <laughs> no because what Ragnarok got what I Taika Waititi decided is that the premise of Thor is too is so goofy it is you're right it is mocking and self cannibalizing because in Waititi's mind and I generally agree with him this whole civilization of the Asgardians it's is ridiculous. so over the top. Yeah. It can't be treated as serious. It has to be mocked because otherwise it's just – it's insane. These people talk weird. They dress weird. They their, their aesthetic is bizarre. They don't feel like people. So, OK, let's just have Thor spinning around a chain yelling at a giant fire demon or mm-hmm. let's have him talking to a rock monster who has a weird Kiwi accent. You know, I, I – Marvel – let Waititi off the chain for the most part. And I think specifically the scenes on Sakaar are the scenes that Waititi probably was the most passionate about making. Sure. They're the funniest. And they're also the stuff that he got to make up from scratch. Whereas the Asgard stuff he had to take from pre-existing Marvel stuff more, oh, more yeah. directly. The fact that the main source of Thor was a Hulk comic just tells you all you need to know. Right. I, the, the primary Hulk. difference between Wonder Woman and uh, Black Panther, and I do think there are similarities in that both of them are, in theory, about outsider perspectives. Um, but where Wonder Woman, after the first act, sends their t- titular hero, titular? I don't know how to, T-I-T-U-L-A-R. I, I believe it's titular, but yeah, it's a tough uh, yeah. one. Yeah, e- Eponymous, I think is the other name. Yeah. They yeah. send Wonder Woman out into the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that happens at the end of act one. The entire black Panther movie is like an extended first act of wonder woman because you're so right. Ends with him deciding we are going to go out and be ambassadors to the world. Now, 
I mean, I, I don't really want to talk to. And that was my Wonder other Woman worry because it will wind up with us fighting and yelling at each other because we have vastly different opinions of that movie. Oh, okay. But, well, no, I don't. Does, I mean, again, it's like Rogue One. There's nothing you can say whatever you want. It's not going to bother me. I, 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 I get the I get the objective compl- uh, compl- nitpicks uh, with Wonder Woman. Um, I just identified with uh, when you have a solo character. Black Panther could have been called Wakanda. And, yes, and that's great. But I love that. Yes, I, it, and because the Black Panther is an insti- is the institution of Wakanda, so it's right. w- w- it's called Black Panther not because it's about Chadwick Boseman, because it's about the whole civilization that's built around the myth and the legend of the Black Panther. Exactly. If anything, they held back on some of the stuff. I mean, part of the reason Ta-Nehisi Coates's Black Panther uh, run was canceled after twelve issues was because. In my opinion, there was almost no action, and it was tons of talking and mythologizing and Mm -hmm. doing very meta talk about the history of Black Panther. It was very minimalist. There was very little violence. It was mostly philosophizing and so forth, which I love. But I'm sure the way Marvel markets to its audience and thinks that its audience is children, um, white children, white male children, I have a, still have a bone to pick with you, Marvel Comics, for being assholes. Uh, well, maybe we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> but I love Wonder Woman as an origin story. That's why it's my favorite comic book origin story. It's not my favorite comic book movie, and it's not definitely not what I consider the best one. But it's my favorite origin story because I, it came at a time when I thought I never wanted to see an origin story again, and I just left crying and wanting to see it again and again which is not right. normally the case for me with origin stories. And because of the two leads in particular, and because, look, both Wonder Woman and Black Panther did a f- numerous things better than any other movies had done before. I think we can agree. If nothing else, Wonder Woman did the best love story that we've seen in a comic book movie by a long shot. And as much as I love the Lupita love story w- with Chadwick here, you know, it, it was not emphasized, as you pointed out, for a good reason, because we want to see... Uh, we want to see... um What's Lupita's character called? Nakia. Nakia. We want to see Nakia as Nakia, right? And not just as an objectified love interest. And as, you know, I was saying, I think, yes, Michael, I I, I think Michael B. Jordan's character, uh, Killmonger, did sway him. But it was certainly Nakia's passion for the outside world that ultimately puts him over the the top. And plus seeing the, you know, the dissent within his own ranks and other people agreeing with some of the things Killmonger was saying. I mean, I've never cried at a villain's death at a comic book movie before. And I didn't cry at this one, but I was getting choked up at the final scenes between uh, Panther and, and, and Eric in this movie. I at least got why Killmonger was doing what he was doing. I felt like he was a well-fleshed-out character yeah. who had very valid reasons for his feelings, both from personal trauma but also from an objective appraisal of what the civilization could do and is, you know, and the hatred he feels that they're not doing it. You know, every – you get the sense every time Jordan witnessed racism or marginalization of black people in the various places he was, he thought, man, Wakanda could have solved this years ago and they just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Fuck these people. I'm going to burn them to the ground. Yeah. It and reminded I, me of, it, sorry, it reminded me actually of like a, almost like a Tolkien-esque human villain yeah. like Boromir or Denethor, like people who would be good men but have been corrupted by the ring or Sauron. Like, because when, when, when he, when he's, 
gets stabbed finally in the final battle, which I thought for sure was going to end at like speed <laughs> in the train. Right. Um, but I'm glad they just stabbed him. But the cloud, it was like when Boromir, when the cloud goes away from his eyes and the it, right. and he realizes what he's done. It, just but when you're if you're weak and you have ambitions of power and so forth, you can, you can be easily corrupted, right? right. Um, and so, especially if you're trapped in your own trauma, yeah. like uh, the the other podcast I went on to talk about this, um, the scene where uh, Michael B. Jordan goes to the the spirit land. I don't know what to call it, and he, instead of seeing the wide you know plane, he sees the apartment that he grew up in. To me, the way the curtains in that are drawn, they look to me almost like bars where you can only get a glimpse of the plane out behind them. And so for me, that scene, it was almost like he is so trapped in the trauma of finding his father's dead body in this very apartment that he is visualizing that he cannot see anything except a glimpse of Wakanda beyond that. And so that's why when... Uh, T'Challa finally takes him to the cliff so he can see Wakanda for all it is. That's when he has this revela- revelation of kind of, man, I tried to destroy this. I was wrong. I um, mean, it's what makes that final death scene much more powerful. Um, to your point about Lord of the Rings, uh, in the my favorite movie critic, one of them, Movie Bob, who I've talked about endlessly, uh, I finally got to meet at this press screening, so that was awesome. cool. Um, In his review of this, he said, it's almost like Ryan Coogler thought, well, I'm already making Black Avengers. Why don't I go ahead and make Black Star Wars and Black Lord of the Rings while I'm at it? I mean, this is going to be like like the equivalent of Star Wars for young black kids. Yeah. No question. No question. Both in terms of inspiring characters and also a sense of a lived-in universe. Like, Wakanda feels alive. Even in a way, I didn't think the Amazon Themyscira felt totally alive. Like mm-hmm. Wakanda feels like a place with its whole thing, with just filled with different people doing their own things. Um, I, yeah, since Star Wars, I can't remember another universe that feels this fleshed out this early in in, in its cinematic existence. Yeah, it. I think I think Star Wars and Lord of the Rings are actually more apropos. Um, than Avengers in this case, just from the cultural impact. Right. I think his point was like, look, you know, Nakia is a super spy, kind of like Black Widow. Black Widow. Yep. Shuri is like a, a wisecracking, I, you know, Tony Stark, that right. there are these equivalent characters so that when they're all fighting together, they feel a little bit like a super team. So that's why I think he called it Black Avengers. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally, totally. I'm just thinking of like what little kids are thinking of compared to like what we grew up with. And man, is it looking like a bad Peter, Peter Jackson decision to cast an all white cast in Lord of the Rings? I mean, <laughs> it's so. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? It's a, that's the problem with the source material too. There, there, there ain't a lot of black people in Middle Earth. It sucks, but you know, it, it's a product of writing your stories in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, I guess. But- Ar- Arwen isn't in Lord of the Wings uh, Rings either, and they made Liv That's Tyler so a major character. And Galadriel isn't in all three books, and she's in all you know, like also th- true. They took plenty of liberties, and it would have been a little arresting. But you know what? If they had just had black hobbits and Hobbiton, you wouldn't even be thinking about it twenty Absolutely. minutes into the movie. So, and that gets back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast, which is this movie made me think about the implicit bias in casting in mainstream Hollywood blockbusters because yeah, 
there is no reason why there couldn't have been black actors in Lord of the Rings. But there aren't because when we think of appropriate casts, it seems like we filmmakers, the viewing public, whatever, are still kind of in the back of our minds. We just assume it's going to be mostly or all white people. Mm-hmm. And hopefully a movie that makes $200 million in its first weekend and is probably going to make a billion before its run is over is the final nail in the coffin to that idea. You mm-hmm. know, And that we start thinking there is no real reason why we couldn't have more diversity in casting. It doesn't affect box office. It clearly doesn't affect quality. People will still watch it. So why not? Mm-hmm. You know? So again, we don't need to talk about the content. Again, feel free to criticize. It doesn't bother me with Wonder Woman. But in terms of the directors, you know, both Patty Jenkins and um, Ryan Coogler ultimately got what they want. Patty Jenkins had to fight a lot harder, it seems like, and also didn't get completely what she wanted. I know she wasn't completely thrilled with how the, they wanted the movie to end. Yeah, um, the third act is where the movie... I mean, I don't want to debate it, but the third act left me with a bad taste in my mouth, and that's why I don't think more of Wonder Woman than well, here's maybe the problem. I, I, the problem is Wonder Woman... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Wonder Woman flourished within the DCEU despite how terrible the DCEU has been managed and manifested. And so when you get a character like Ares, who seems like all the other DCEU villains, it seems way worse. And the fight scene looked a lot like the Doomsday fight in BVS. There's just tons of CGI explosions. But I don't focus on that. I focus on what's going on in Diana's head and her interactions with Chris Pine. Look, I would have done it differently, and it does drag on too long in the end. No question about it. But for me, I like the movie because it's it it succeeds despite those flaws, for example. Um, I would agree with that, but I think the first two acts feel like different stuff and Patty Jenkins doing her own thing. The third act, for whatever reason, feels to me more like just what I've been seeing from the DCEU over and over again and not liked any time they've done it. it you know, it be, felt like... Yeah. To be fair, the third act is just the final half hour of the movie, essentially. It's when they go to yeah, the party that they don't need to go to, and then there's the final Ares battle yes. that does need to happen. But that's, that's Everything after the end of the trench battle I didn't right. like. The trench battle I thought was fantastic. Sure. I didn't like the stuff in London, but I loved the stuff on the island. You know, So if they had just found a way to end it after the trench battle somehow, or yeah. just did a 10-minute ten, ten epilogue. I don't know how they do it. But, but. Str- um, Okay, I, I have to push on this a little bit. It, it, and this is not a flaw in my mind, because again, it bothers me less than most people. But I thought the third act of Black Panther was the weakest as well. It was very predictable. Where some of the CGI gets a little bit loose. The CGI gets janky. The rhinos were clearly fake. Was fine. The, the Black Panther. But it was cute when they licked. Uh, that was very Mike cute. Character. Yes, but you know how that fight was going to resolve and go. It, uh, both ends of the fight. It was pretty predictable. Yeah, it ends in a fist fight, like every MCU movie, and it's a little unclear why it works. And the CGI is a little wonky in that scene. But, but here's what my comparison is: it works because the character stuff works. Yes. Right. And that's why the final act of Wonder Woman works because I'm so focused on Diana and Steve at that point. I can remember the first time seeing it going, I know Steve Trevor's going to die, but I have to see how this is going to unfold. So I'm so in on their love story and on her growth as a human being. 
like that's what I'm focused on. And this I'm focused on Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman's amazing performance and the drama of the betrayal, you know, and the greater battle going on. It's the character stuff. It's right. the, it's the kinetic feeling of it. You, you know, like are there CGI problems in both cases in these movies? Sure. Does it bother me? Not at all. But you know me, I don't really care about CGI stuff as long as it looks cool. I was thrilled to see the rhinos. There's no way they could have made that look realistic and do what they wanted to do. So I've just gotten over that stuff. When I say Guardians looked bad, the Guardians 2 looked bad, it's just, it's so over the top colorful, yes. you know, that, that it just hurts my eyes. And Thor yes. Ragnarok got to the point where it was so over the top colorful. And this was an example in Black Panther of how to do a colorful, lively movie that doesn't burn your retinas and Absolutely. feel like a video game. And that's one thing I loved about Wonder Woman. And I think that's why the Wonder Woman Final Battle sticks out as being problematic CGI wise is because it's so realistic and gritty for that whole middle part of the movie with the war scenes. Yeah, I, I think it, it's problematic from CGI. I also think thematically it undoes a lot of what the movie had set up to that point in some really troubling ways. And I don't know if Patty Jenkins just didn't think about that or if this was studio stuff, but I, I actually think Wonder Woman, the final fight with Ares discounts a lot of the empowerment messages that had been built throughout the film, which really, really bothered me. But hmm. I, I, one of the things, a, a, a nitpick I have with Black Panther, which is the movie we're talking about, is I actually thought Black Panther himself was a little less interesting to watch than his than the side characters. Well, I that was the point I tried to make about Wonder Woman. Yeah. Was it, when it's called Wonder Woman, you want the lead character to be the most interesting character, and Gal Gadot was certainly that. Absolutely. Now, I But you're right. This movie could have been called The Adventures of Wakanda yeah. or whatever, and I would have been totally fine with that. But when uh, Denai Guerrera and Shuri are fighting Killmonger out in the daylight, like there's five Dora Milaje versus him, I thought that fight scene was really, really cool. But then when the two of them are fighting on the train tracks, I thought, okay, this is a little confusing. I didn't quite understand why the fight worked, like why that spear was able to kill him, in part because I thought the CGI was clunky looking in that moment. Um, so it was because of the it was because of the the, the vibranium the um, the sound echo that temporarily right, so disables the, the vibranium. So Okay, so the sound thing turns on the shield, the the su- the suit is vulnerable. So he grabs the yeah. spear and he stabs him. So you know how like in 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 Dune when you're trying to stab someone through a shield, you have to like do it just so to get through the shield to right. to, to stab someone. So basically the similar thing was happening where there was a very brief window each time the train went by where the sonic thing disabled both of their suits of armor and they would become very <laughs> vulnerable. And so they were both looking for a way to take out the other one when when that happened. It was just that, you know, Black Panther was a little craftier, more experienced and he knew the technology a little better, I suppose. Um also, right. let's not forget Part of the reason he lost to, to Michael B. the first time is because he froze, right? They keep saying, don't freeze, don't freeze. He froze because he had a moral crisis, right? I mean, this is this is a, a thing we see in lots of superhero and, and mythological movies of, you know, the protagonist starting to doubt themselves, and that's when they're weakest, you know, fighting. 
Um, and I thought they nailed that in the movie. And I think that's why he was able to take out, um, and why I like the way they portrayed the final battle from a thematic standpoint. The reason he was mm-hmm. finally able to take out Killmonger was yes, he was crafty and whatever, but it was, he came to terms with the fact that he could feel horrible for this kid and want to help him and still think he, the best thing for everyone, including him was to kill him. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like the mercy killing thing almost. And that's why it broke my heart when he finally did it. And they both had realization in their eyes of like, it was kind of inevitable. And that makes the whole thing so sad, but so human. And as someone pointed out in a headline, finally an adult movie from Marvel. And it's not an adult movie because people die, by the way. They finally letting them kill people, like yeah, clearly really. <laughs> kill people in this movie. Uh, consistently dead and it's important in this movie that people die because it's kind of a small and this would, this would be a good way to lead into the final segment man it's kind of a small movie that's big and small at the same time and yeah. what i wanted to follow up with something you said much earlier about it's like as if it was on themiscira the whole time and you know that's part of why they shoehorn Themyscira, by the way, into Justice League late in that production. Is how much people love Themyscira and wanted to spend more yeah, time but there. But they're totally misused. Yeah, no, no, no. It's fine. I don't want to argue about that. I'm just saying, you know, Black Panther got that part right. People want to live in that fantasy. Absolutely. And there's almost zero chance that there won't be major parts on Themyscira and Wonder Woman too. I know Patty and everybody wants to do more stuff there. So hopefully Warner Brothers will finally... Patty didn't write Wonder Woman 1, by the way. She is writing Wonder Woman 2. She did not write Wonder no, Woman but, 1. I mean, as director, she is ultimately responsible for everything about it. Just like Snyder I mean, was, is ultimately responsible yeah. for everything wrong with BVS. Yes, true, but she also, hadn't, she also had been trying to get a Hollywood job for over 10 years after... You know, directing an and Academy Award-winning performance, job, but that doesn't mean I can't point out the stuff I didn't. No, like. you can, but I also think it's important to realize that not every director has the same level of control. And I'm saying that, Marvel sure. again did the right thing, and when they hired a guy like Ryan Coogler, they weren't going to pick a fight with him. Starting from moment A, they said you can do whatever the fuck you want within reason. Yes, I agreed. And by the way, Creed is one of the few movies that you don't realize is PG-13 unless you see that as PG-13. So Black Panther, you know, also feels like it, 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 it slid nicely into dark PG-13 territory. And yet I've, when I've been asked about it for like eight year old kids, I have no hesitation in saying, yes, take your eight year old, your nine year old to this movie. If they're mature enough. Absolutely. The social Mm -hmm. impact is way outweighs. And I was going to say, it's important that you kill people in these movies. So you see the stakes. We've talked about this since the beginning of our time together on the podcast. It's not about death because it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. You want to slice as many people as possible with blood everywhere. It's important to see the stakes of violence. And in a world that we live in where there's mass shootings almost every day, it's important to see the consequences of your actions. But you can't see the consequences of your actions when you destroy a whole city and nobody dies, right? Right. Like in Avengers and almost all of these comic book movies. And so I, I, I... I guess the question, to form this into a question, all I was going to say was that their treatment of Ryan Coogler 
versus Warner Brothers treatment of Patty Jenkins just shows the distance between the two studios understanding, you know, the fact that I agree, the fact that guardians that I think guardians and Thor were lackluster, but there was almost universally agreed upon by both critics and audiences to be mm-hmm. at least good and entertaining. Yeah, I think they were good. Yeah. I, um, you know, like just shows you the distance between it. Black Panther is going to outgross, literally outgross justice league in four days in this country. Yeah. And that is, this is, is exactly the reason why that, that's all I was saying about Patty Jenkins. Of course she's responsible for it, but I also think someone's working for one studio and someone's working for the other. Now we'll see what happens when we finally get a female director with Captain Marvel. You know, it only sure. took 11 years. So exactly. And we'll see, you know, and there's not a whole lot. doesn't seem like people are super like passionate and chomping at the bit for, uh, Captain Marvel. Whereas people were, the sense I get is people were desperate for Black Panther. The second it was announced, people started to get excited. And then as the pre-release reviews came out that it was really good and, you know, just black communities immediately started rallying around this film, you know, of, I think, I think I read Kendrick Lamar who did the soundtrack for this movie, which was incredible, like rented out three theaters and buses just so we could take loads of young black kids to see this movie. I mean, the way this the communities uh, of color in America have taken to this film is one. It, it means it was a success because clearly Kugler was trying to make a movie that would speak to black people in a way that a lot of these superhero movies haven't just because all of them are about, you know, star white people basically. So on that level, you know, just a overwhelming success for Kugler and his efforts. And by the way, you know, like we also need to applaud Disney giving directors more f- uh, freedom, like Kathleen yeah. Kennedy did with Ryan Johnson in The Last Jedi, even when Absolutely. there's major pushback by some fans. Right. And the fact that Disney and, and Lucasfilm did not backtrack on a single thing in that movie. And they've not been getting defensive about it publicly. Ryan Johnson has been a great sport, but he's been consistent in saying, look, they got me here to make a movie. I love Star Wars, and this is the Star Wars movie I wanted to make, you know? And so not everything is going to be as acclaimed across the board as Black Panther. You know, I I think it makes it easier to ignore the haters with this movie because it's so clearly, for the most part, flawless as far as these movies go. I mean, for me, Last Jedi was close to flawless. I suppose Last Jedi did have a subplot line that was weak, that this movie didn't have a subplot line, uh, really any subplot lines. Um, And so they didn't have to worry about the subplot line being weak. With Last Jedi, you just have so many characters, you know, and they keep adding new characters. They just had one too many stories. That's going to happen in movies like that. You and I didn't talk at all about Rose and Finn, and we still love that movie, you know? And I I think it is an interesting comparison, though, man, because Star Wars is still the only major of the franchises where, because it's in a galaxy far, far away, it's just, there is just diversity in all levels of good guys and bad guys, and you don't even talk about it. Um, Absolutely. Except for the people who hone in on Rose and hate on Rose, because, like, okay, fine, the Finn and Rose story was weak, but, like, don't hate on the actress. Like, she did a great job with what she was supposed to do, you know? And that's what I was getting at at the beginning when I had my little catharsis moment of telling the haters to go fuck themselves, which right. was, you know, like, if you don't like a story, say you don't like the story, don't go after these actors and actresses. It's interesting. John Boyega dealt with this in the first movie. And yeah. ironically, he didn't get blamed for that story being weak, even though Kelly Marie Tran did better job with the material than he did in The Last Jedi. 
with that with that subplot, I thought not that Boyega f- mailed it in, but she was definitely more passionate in her performance. I thought. Um, well, maybe, I think they gave her. She more had better to stuff. Than him. Sure, I, but the I point mean, is, it's just interesting that John Boyega was the recipient of the hate in the first one, and yeah, in the second one, you know, he's given a pass. Um, and he should be because again, yes, it was he did the material he had. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I, it, it, this is why I, I, I'm I'm not gonna beat around the bush anymore. Starting with Last Jedi, with with people who are are trying to couch, you know, some really bad things. Bad feelings and bad ideas in you know supposed film criticism. If you make a valid film critique, I'm fine with it. But don't go after actors in particular unless you have a very good reason to talk about that. Because I I, I don't know. Maybe you and I don't see eye to eye on this. But in most movies, even bad blockbuster movies, I usually blame the producers, writers, and directors before I blame the actors for the most part. Especially because they cast those actors, right? Right. So if you know, like, I, I, I don't know. And so this movie, it's really hard to go after black people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, that's the thing. John Boyega, excuse me, John Boyega was targeted because he was made the symbol of this thing that these people either really hated or pretended to hate for clicks uh, of this. They're forcing PC-ness on Star Wars. So we went from all white people to a late, a woman, all white men to a white girl replacing Luke Skywalker and then a black guy as the, as the co quote unquote co lead for the force awakens. So he was made the symbol of the wrong direction. They were taking it. You can't make a black Panther movie and not have almost entirely black actors. So you can't really complain about diversity in the, uh, the PC-ness of this movie because you literally can't make this movie any other way. I mean mm-hmm. – All right. Well, you let's – You can make a white tiger movie yeah. I guess, but most of the people who have been white tiger <laughs> were Latino. So that doesn't really mm-hmm. work either. So why don't, we, why don't we end with just talking about some of the characters that we like? We'll end on a positive note here. Sorry to get so meta about this, man, but like I'm, just, okay. I'm just sick of, uh, of what's going on in our country, and I'm thrilled that people are embracing this. And the attempts— Yeah, I think this one—I think Black Panther is going to dodge most of the mud being yeah. slung by this small, loud group of people who are pretending to be mad about this. And I really think most of them— don't care and they're well, just yeah i mean and, and you know the fact that it comes uh, literally i mean i guess it depends there are some real yeah. defensive dc fans who i just hate marvel because marvel makes better movies I, which by the way i'm a huge dc fan and i hate those people the dceu defenders make it so hard for me to like these characters yeah i'm not going to go into this just because uh, my Australian buddies. Going this. No, I know, but I, I, you know, I hate those movies. But I'm also not going to bash. I, I will bash all American DCEU defenders. I'm not going to bash all global ones because one thing I've learned talking to my Australian friends is some of our social media bullshit gets through to them, and some doesn't, and some gets misconstrued. Sure. Like some of them felt like they're like, like Americans. Let's put it this way: white Americans online are bullying people 
around the world about yes. this movie. So yes. they f- they like Alistair was feeling like it was going to be a more anti-white movie than than I was because of what little social media, you know, what specific social media stuff like got through or whatever. That was obviously dispelled for him within like 30 seconds of seeing the film. Um and like as I said he grew up reading Black Panther and he's a super smart and progressive guy, but like we can't assume that all of our bullshit translates overseas as i always say i still think the majority of this country is center left or left and it people just voted in elections the democrats would always win um assuming you know they're not as horrible as the right wing but that's not how politics work here and nobody votes and so we keep getting horrible leaders who have 30 percent approval ratings i mean look i'm sorry to go on a tangent here but like like every time we have a democratic president, their approval ratings by the time they finish are through the roof. Every time we have a Republican president, but they've set new records of lowness with each year of their regime. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that black Panther comes out literally what, two days after Fox news told, uh, some famous basketball players to shut up and dribble when it comes to politics. Um, by the way, I, 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 I know people criticize LeBron James because he's a crybaby on the court, but I love him off the court. And, uh, you know, that he just, you just don't want to pick a fight with that guy, Fox News. Well, well, <laughs> well, what I found so hilarious was it was like, this is a lesson for you to maybe not, for you to finish high school and not try out for the NBA when you're 18. And I remember thinking, the dude is a first round Hall of Famer. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars and he gives, and he's put like Tons. 40 kids through college just by giving them scholarships like kids he doesn't know i think he's probably proof that there's actually validity to not going the classical path through education yeah i think i think he got to hang out with barack obama not just because he was famous (laughs) i think he's a super smart dude i think he's gonna wind up taking taking over the nba players association at some point when he retires i think that is probably the direction he's gonna go but you know, but it's great to see you know, like they had Chadwick Boseman was doing the ESPN rounds, and I'm not a big fan of ESPN these days. It's no secret, but you know, I, I think this is. Let me put it this way: if nothing else, this is a giant relief that this wasn't bad. Yeah, <laughs> because if this was bad or even just mediocre, if this was Justice League but with black people, um, that would have been okay, just because it still would have been. A milestone, but no, I mean it's. Yeah. And I, I actually didn't mind Justice League, so maybe that was a bad, a bad comparison. If it was BVS with but with black people, right? You know, like that was what I was sort of getting at earlier about taking itself too seriously. And right. this was okay. So let's actually talk about the. So we talked about Letitia Wright, um, humor. Uh, I, I guess the middle finger didn't totally make sense. I think what they were I going. Loved it, though. I laughed too. I think what they were going for was that. I'm not sure Wakandans would know, most Wakandans would know that that was a thing. Like, I think that was a little bit of a wink, like, because she's so worldly and being a princess. Yeah, I mean, they still have TV there. They can watch CNN right, or right. whatever. But, I'm pretty sure they know what the middle finger is. But I'm, but I, right, but I'm saying I don't think it's offensive in their culture. It was it was tongue in cheek to her brother. And the reason, even though she did in public, mom didn't come down on her about it is because they don't really care. It was probably just an inside joke that they've been doing from each other from watching TV when they were kids, but they don't really understand it, right? I thought, oh, that was what I wanted to say, man. God, talk about burying the lead. 
I, I hmm. thought there was major Star Trek vibes here, but it was reversed in terms of the aliens and the and the Federation, right? And if you just look at Martin Freeman's character, that right. felt exactly like one of those classic next gen episodes where they either accidentally or are forced to break the prime directive, you know, like by accident or Picard feels mm-hmm. like his hand is forced and they end up having to beam up an alien or like the beginning of uh, first contact where they beam up uh, what's her face who was in first contact great african-american female actress um, I, I know a movie you're talking i know the character i don't remember what that yeah. actress well, she's is different made. cochran's right hand lady yeah, and, yeah, and she yeah, gets beamed up and, and, and the one and, who yells at picard and gets him to, to right and says the borg are they swedish you know like the, all that stuff um but but it felt, didn't it feel like martin freeman was like that alien like a stranger in a strange land kind of thing um yeah, was, i mean it's yeah. definitely a, a reversal of uh you know, a reversal of fortune, you know, a reversal of suddenly you have the token white guy who is the outsider, uh, coming in and sort of having his world turned around. Right. But they're like, but they're almost Starfleet level of like moral superiority, you know, I mean, at least on the surface too. Um, in terms, yeah, it's, people say it's black futurism, but it's also black utopianism. I mean, this is, you know, Part of the reason that the Civil War happens is because it hadn't happened in so long, if ever, because it was such a utopic society, right? But like, but also had some dystopic elements. Like when when do utopias become dystopias in terms of the awareness of the population? It's usually when the outside starts to push its way in, right? Right. Um, it's Alfred Woodard, by the way. Who Alfred Woodard, in, yes. God bless Willie her. Willie Sloan in, in First Contact. Yeah. Um, but also, Martin Freeman, it was basically Bilbo Baggins again. <laughs> 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 like, accidentally helping the good guys in any way he can, you know? It was hilarious. I don't remember where I read this, but somebody said Martin Freeman is really good at reactions, like reactive facial expressions. Yeah. His you Hitchhiker's know, Guide has- to Galaxy? Yeah. Yeah, as John as uh, uh, John Watson, yeah, and sure in um, Sherlock, also a lot of scenes in which he watches Sherlock go through his whole sociopathic and analytic process, and he reacts to it. So Freeman is really good at waking up somewhere, having no idea what's going on, and having it show up on his face. I thought he did a great job. This this role yeah, could have really fallen apart, and he did a you know he didn't try and better steal American scenes. American accent than in Civil War. Also, way better than in the the overdub in the trailers that he did, where he gives that whole speech about like I've seen aliens fall from the sky, and I've seen this and that, but I've never seen anything like Wakanda. It was a terrible accent. He, he they must have improved it or something. He, it sounded yeah. much better. Um, speaking of accents, God bless Andy Circus, dude. I loved yeah. the psychotic. Ulysses Claw. I thought yeah, that was, was a lot great. Of fun. <laughs> it was super fun, and it was. I mean, it was over the top, but because of the context and the performance. Um, I mean, because in the comics, you at least the more recent ones, Ulysses Claw is more of your typical mustache twirling bad guy. Um, and the fact that he kind of believed in Michael B. Jordan in, in uh, to a certain extent. Um, that whole part of the plot's a little hazy uh, for me about when Killmonger turns on his his people. I guess that's the part where you know when he turns on the girl in particular, 
where you should really start to go against against Killmonger, but they they really balance it nicely, where where you sort of love him and hate him at different, you know, or or at least sympathize with him and hate him at at different points in the movie. Um, and I think it caught it. It was very. I mean, it was a heel turn you didn't see coming. Like I did not expect Killmonger to sacrifice this girl and then shoot. I mean, we're in spoiler territory, but he lets this girl get killed. And it turns out he only ever wanted Claw because he knew he could use Claw's dead body as yep. a way to get into Wakanda. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming at all. So I thought that was a pretty good twist midway mm-hmm. through the movie. And by the way, uh, you know, Killmonger is also a, a somewhat of an amalgamation with the comic book version of Ulysses Claw. Because in the comics, it's Ulysses Claw's father who's killed by T'Chaka. And that's oh, okay. informed sort of the revenge story. This is way cooler. And that's why I think, like, because you couldn't have that Ulysses Claw because that was essentially the father revenge story here. And so right. why not just get Andy Serkis to be an all-out psycho? Totally. Um, and especially because he nails the the boorish, when I say boorish, I don't just mean B-O-O-R. I'm talking B-O-E-R, like the Boers of South Africa, like the Dutch-German descendants of South Africa who are responsible for apartheid and lots of horrible things. Um, he nailed that the boorish South African English accent. And I, 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 I hate to say it, man, but I met some South Africans who were like only one step less psychotic than him um, <laughs> and, and felt very similarly about, the, as you pointed out early, about black South Africans and black people in general. Like th- some of them even respected Nelson Mandela, but it was because they saw him as different than the other savages as sure. opposed to representative of it. I really quickly want to point out, and then we'll do closing thoughts, um, uh, that uh, um, back to your, your well-researched, uh, uh, well-researched introduction in the Kosa language is that part of the reason they chose Kosa is because of we've all heard Nelson Mandela or seen movies about Nelson Mandela in South Africa. It's just sort of, in South Africa is the U.S. of, of Africa, it's the most populous in sub-Saharan Africa. It's the most advanced. It's by far the most diverse. South Africa is one of the most diverse countries, along with us in Brazil and a couple other places on the planet. Like it's got people from all over the world because of the trading routes and Muslims and Indians right. and white people, black people of different colors. Um, and so I think part of the thinking was we're not going to be able to make a new African accent. We're already doing a whole new African culture. Um, And so let's just go with something that our actors can actually learn. And this will be my final big question. What what did you think about the portrayal of Africa? Did it feel like Africa in your mind? Did it feel, again, another concern I had is that people are going to see this and say, oh, Africa is not like this. This is a total fantasy kind of thing and not realize how much of Africa is actually in this just because Africa is mostly poor and oppressed. Um, that this is, in my mind, this is definitely a logical a- outcome of, of, of Africa that could be. Um, and I still think we're going to see. But what was your impression? I have no sense of what your knowledge of interest in or experience with Africa is before this movie. Well, as I've said repeatedly, yes, Wakanda is a fictional nation that supposes what would happen if an African nation was never ever interfered with by Europe or the the few attempts Europe made 
were failures. And so this was a country that was able to thrive completely off of its own prosperity and develop completely on its own, independent of any outside influence. So yeah, it doesn't exactly feel like any African, like real world African nation that I can think of. Now, granted, as somebody, as a white guy in America, my understanding of what life is like over there is limited to what I see on TV, mm-hmm. either via news or, or shows that happen to go over there. So I don't have anywhere close to a complete picture of society in like the grand majority of African nations. Sure. But the idea of having a fictional one that doesn't quite feel like it belongs in modern Africa strikes me as the point. The point is to imagine what could be if you take Europe's centuries-long screwing with that continent completely away. Yeah. I guess my question was just more about sort of the cultural stuff, like the dance and the costumes. Like, I liked all that stuff. Yeah. I, there's no reason in modernizing that that stuff would go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has in the West, but I mean, some of that is because when you have so many different cultures melding with each other, any one is going to sort of be, be erased by all of the others. So when you have this melting pot, everything kind of becomes one new monoculture mm-hmm. because there has been so little outside influence uh, in Wakandan history, all the stuff that they were doing a hundred or a thousand years ago, they would still be doing some version of today, even as you know their speech patterns change to reflect modern language, their mannerisms change to reflect you know modern behavior. I'm pretty sure nobody was flicking each other off 200 years ago, but you know they can still get TV, so they know what the middle finger is. Um, but there's no reason why they wouldn't still keep that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, there's never been a push to bring democracy to Wakanda. So yeah, it's still a tribal nation ruled where the ruler's right is can be challenged by other tribes for authority if they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just really quickly, I, I, I can you know attest the music was very West African, but there was definitely some South African vocal stuff going on. Like if you guys have listened to Paul Simon's Graceland with Ladysmith Black Mombazo, they definitely drew from some of that vocal tradition in this a little bit, but it was mostly West African. The warrior culture was very East, like Kenyan, East African. Like it was very like the, um, you know, the tribal stuff that like, I think the thing with the lip that you mentioned, I think that's an East African thing or Central Africa. That's not in West. You don't see that in West Africa so much. Mm-hmm. Um, the dance was definitely a hodge in the fashion was a hodgepodge of the whole continent. I guess I was asking cause I think they nailed the pan African vibe and everyone I know who is either African or spent time in Africa seems to agree on that point. And I just want to point out that as brilliant as Ryan Coogler is, we really need to say thank you and applaud all the people who did the art stuff, art, music, dance, art and fashion. And I mean, it wasn't just craftspeople. They had brains behind this operation. And I'm, I can't wait for the documentary because Ryan Coogler is 32 and he's a really, really, really American black dude. I mean, he's really sure. black in terms of his culture and, and upbringing in Oakland and really American. And what I'm saying that is, he is the first one to say, I don't really know, didn't know that much about Africa 
compared to right. like what you might think in this movie and he's been very you know praiseworthy of everyone he's had around him because it's right. one thing for it is one thing for marvel to hire ryan coogler but the first thing that by the way he's 32 ryan coogler the first thing the 32 year old i guess 30 at the time ryan coogler had to then do was surround himself with people who knew a lot about africa but would also sure. share and respect and, and and fill out his vision um and so I'm sure those people will be getting Academy Awards and, and so forth. I, I would hope, um, or at least some sort of recognition. But the general population, I hope, you know, it it it, it causes people to want to explore more into these cultures. I yeah, absolutely. I would hope so. So um, it looks like it's going to break a lot of box office records. It's going to be up there. I think it's going to beat a, a Captain America Civil War. I predicted that this would beat um, Last Jedi, which made like $1.3, $1.4 Yeah. So that would put it up with Avengers, Avengers 2, Jurassic World, like billion yeah. and a half territory. That is pretty amazing. And, For sure. Uh, you know, it, it's it's an interesting question about whether they needed to surround themselves with as much talent as they did, but it surely doesn't hurt. Um, especially getting people, um, African American viewers to the box office. Yeah. Because we know a lot of people who saw get out and get out made a good amount of money. It was the most profitable movie of last year. You know what it cost to make versus what it actually made. But percentage wise was still a much higher audience of, of, of black viewers just per sheer percentage wise to the normal white Hollywood like horror movie or whatever. Right. Um, and so, you know, getting actors from movies like get out, you know, like various Chadwick Boseman productions, but also like, you know, elder statesmen and stateswomen like Forrest Whitaker and especially Angela Bassett, who yeah. didn't have enough like, um, Diana Prince's, uh, mom played by Kanye Nielsen. You know, both moms were great and didn't have quite enough screen time, but were great in the role in the, the screen time that they got. She, you know, she was so regal. You completely believed her as the mom, you know, from the beginning. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, my final thought and I'll let you have final, final thought is you know again like last jedi the women really were running things uh yeah it, it at least had the moral high ground in um, almost all cases even the betrayal you know like who stayed loyal and who ended up really betraying t'challa was like the men were the betrayers and the women the dora Milaje were ultimately the loyal the loyal ones yeah his, his sister's the smart one his mom's the wise mom um, you know, the men are all idiots or evil other than T'Challa and Martin Freeman's character. And even right. he needs to learn some stuff. I and have no Mbaku problem with is, this. is a yeah. pretty honorable guy. Like in the end, they did a poor really job of liked, hiding that quote unquote twist. I will say, <laughs> yeah, in the end, I, I really liked what they did with his character. Yeah. He you know, great. he has a reason for wanting the throne because, you know, the other tribes have pretty much ignored him and his people and, and, forced them into the mountains to, you know, for subsist a subsistence living that clearly they are deprived of all the technology available in the, the, the Wakandan capital. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's got a good reason for wanting to rule. And then when he loses, he doesn't insist on being killed. He yields. And then he ultimately does recognize that whatever he thinks of T'Challa Killmonger is way, way worse for everybody, his people included. And he, 
um, you know, he fights the good fight. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, for, for for watchers like us, it doesn't really, you know, it, it's not something that would ever make us mad, but I know it's coming. That's going to be the way yeah. people couch their criticism of this movie is, oh, all the men looked, it, it's, I'm not racist, but look, man, all the men were terrible and all the women were awesome. I know that's, that's where the, the criticisms, all, that, that's where they're trying to, the, these people uh, are, are, are trying to, they, they, they work laterally now. They don't come straight at things, especially because right. things that are universally seen as good and important, you know, they, they go around the issue. Um, actually just in retrospect, there was less hate stuff around wonder woman than I was expecting. And that's a movie, you know, that, that people certainly have objective reasons stuff with the, um, the movie theaters that showed women only like viewings that there was a lot of hate about that, which, which I actually thought was kind of brilliant because if anything, it got the word out that these things were happening better than the theater could have done on its own and probably actually, became a net gain in box office in ticket sales for those showings. But yeah, um, I, I will say mm. with the stuff with uh, M'Baku and the Jobari, you know, this movie does occasionally have bits where it falls on kind of superhero cliches yes. and the, I'm not going to help you. And then he helps them, you know, or you think, you know, they Chadwick Boseman quote unquote dies falling off the waterfall, but nobody actually believes that he's dead. Right. That's where the movie falls back a little bit on what you've seen in other movies before. These are very, very minor criticisms. And, you know, the stuff with M'Baku at the end where he's yelling at the white man, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kill you and feed you to my kids. And then he starts laughing and he's like, I'm just kidding. We're vegetarians. And then he laughs at his own joke for two minutes. I thought that was great. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And again, it was great that well I was going to say that it was great that we had finally had a final battle in a big superhero movie that wasn't a sort of world ending, you know, battle. Um, no, but it was a fist fight. I mean, uh, so many of these superhero movies just end with a fist fight at the end. But this one had That's a reason another, to like, be because it's tribal sure. fighting, right? Yeah. yeah. Um but I was going to say it this still had world ending implications. I mean, if Killmonger takes over Wakanda, like, you know, they're like the Chitari, but smarter in, in, in like invading the rest of the world, right? I mean, that well, was the what implication. Just, what literally occurred to me while we were talking is that final fight is in miniature what would happen to the world if the weapons of Wakanda were distributed in the way mm-hmm. Killmonger wants to do it. That well, Killmonger is king for two days and the country devolves into a civil war where everybody is just fighting everybody else constantly. And if all of those weapons ha- – and they're fighting over control of those weapons. Mm-hmm. Now, if those had been spread to London and New York and Chicago and Oakland and all all the places of the world, the whole world would have fallen into that kind of chaos. So even mm-hmm. without like saying that too overtly, I think that was the point Kugler was making in that final fight is this is what this technology will do if it's treated the way Killmonger wants to treat it. Mm-hmm. Is it will just cause constant chaos and violence everywhere. Yeah, and you know, but uh, like just to wrap it up, like with Killmonger's final confession or whatever, like this was ultimately a super optimistic movie about the yes. human spirit. 
um, the way Wonder Woman was, the way the Star Wars movies, I think, are, um, the way, um, you know, the way the better comic book movies have been. But it just did it in such an adult and responsible way, and it was so great to look at. You know, I think my two main feelings coming out of this movie were enjoyment and relief. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I would say my third would be excitement for other people and how excited other people are getting and seeing little little kids, white and black and other dressed up as Black Panther characters, the way we, you know, we've seen, you know, Ray and Finn and characters in Star Wars be doing similar things and, um, or even and, just Superman and Batman. And not Superman and Batman. You know, the fact that, l- let's be honest, the best thing in the DCEU since we started our podcast is still Diana Prince by like a long yeah. shot. You look hasn't at, been called Wonder Woman yet. Yeah, I am, yeah. Every movie that she shows up in where they don't call her Wonder Woman <laughs> makes me matter. Like, oh, really? I thought the, you were going to go the other way with that. Yeah. The third word, like the third thing, I think when they introduce Arthur Curry in Justice League, Bruce Wayne says it this way. He's a wonder. You're yeah. Arthur Curry, the Aquaman. Like, they don't even explain why he's called that. Right. And we're three movies in and Wonder Woman isn't named Wonder Woman yet. I am really getting pissed about that. Hmm. Well, Sorry. <sighs> no, it's okay. I mean, I'm trying to think because I've tried to catch up on a lot of Wonder Woman comics uh, leading up to that movie and, and, and right after that movie – and it's usually like the press that refers to her that way, if at right. all. Right, but we haven't had the scene where the press does that. Superman gets right. called Superman. Because she's been in the shadows. She's been in the shadows. Yeah, that's the thing. In the comic, you know, in the, in the comics that aren't just rebooting the origin story, like, people know who she is. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing Jenkins did differently, is when Wonder Woman leaves Themyscira in the comics, it is to be a very public face of that island and to be the ambassador to man's world so that she, you know, her arrival is announced here. She sort of shows up in secret and she works out of the shadows, which is not really what I would want to see with wonder woman's character. Yeah. But that is the reason, one of the reasons why she has no superhero moniker is because it doesn't seem like the world is quite aware Mm -hmm. of what she can do. But it's weird that like literally every other character in that universe has their alias. Like in Suicide Squad, it's just, oh, this is Katana. Her sword can cut off your head and take your soul. Don't mess with her. Like that's her introduction. So Wonder Woman doesn't deserve the same thing as fucking Katana or Killer Croc. I -hmm. mean – Well, to be fair, Zack Snyder, again, screwed her over a little bit with that by – even with her tiny appearance in BVS being like, uh, you know, strongly implying, if not saying like you've been in the shadows all these years. Yeah. And so they've had to retcon like, okay, after Steve Trevor in world war one, you'd think she'd go out and try and help everyone she could in the open. Like she does in the comics. They tried to semi retcon it in, in justice league, but it just did not work. So yeah, that's why they're going to keep doing her in the, her movies in the past. You know, Marvel doesn't have this problem. Although Captain Marvel is going to be in the past. Oh, this will be a good way, man, to end is, is if predictions for Infinity War going forward. Um, this is a game changing movie is Black Panther. But I always thought ever since seeing Age of Ultron and, and starting to research this, I always felt like it was going to go through Wakanda. And you seen the Avengers Infinity War trailer a couple months ago and now seeing this, it's clear that things are going to, at least for now, be going through Wakanda. There's no way they're going to destroy Wakanda and Infinity War. It seems impossible. And there's too much talent here. 
um, to uh, not keep these people together. And we know a lot of these main characters, um, including like Winston Duke, who plays M'Baku, like a lot of the main characters are in Infinity War in some way. And we see, uh, spoiler alert, Bucky at the end. I was cheering so loud, man. I I was like, come on, there has to be Bucky or Cap in this movie. I waited till the very end. I was thrilled to see Sebastian Stan healthy and ready to kick ass. Um, And uh, it's going to be great to see them all in Wakanda. Actually, dude, that's an interesting thing I didn't think about Infinity War, and I'll let you go, is we will get to see white people that we know well in Wakanda and Infinity War. Like, we're going to get to see Black Widow and, 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 uh, yeah. and yeah. Steve Rogers and Bucky and yeah. I think the Hulk and I think Elizabeth Olsen as a Scarlet Witch and some of these people in Wakanda. Like, that's going to be really interesting. I hope they have time to explore that at least for 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know how much they're trying to pack in. Um, what, what are your thoughts, predictions, expectations for Infinity War and, and, and just in general going forward? I think Infinity War will be fun. I hope it is. I hope so. I, there's no way thematically it's going to be able to do anything like what Black Panther did. It doesn't seem like it's about anything. It's just the you know, this is what this through line of the Infinity Stones is. The Infinity Stones are not actually all that something I think people are really like wondering about. They're just sort of a gimmick. That Which is why they're not calling the second one Infinity. They changed that. It originally was Infinity War right. Part 1 and 2. Now they're going to call 4, I think, something totally different. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Yeah. I. I uh, there's theories that he's going to assemble the gauntlet and send him to an alternate reality. And the fourth one is about getting back. I don't know. I don't super care. You know, I was, you know, I, I was actually, the first Avengers yeah. was just a fun action yes. fireworks show. And I hope, it, and Ultron, I think fell short because it took itself too seriously and didn't have enough, just sort of glorious celebration of how weird it is to have all these people from all these different movies together. Mm-hmm. I hope the Russos follow the Avengers pattern of just, let's just have fun. We have 50 characters. There's no way we can do anything substantial with any of them. So let's just have weird team-ups and crossovers that you would never expect. Let's have Drax teaming up with Black Widow for some reason. And let's have Black Panther having to duke it out, having to, you know, work with Doctor Strange. Like, just... Lean as hard as you can into the goofiness of this, and I think it'll be fine. Yeah, especially because, let's be honest, we need Captain America to be central again, because in both Avengers movies, he's one of the highlights. In Captain America Civil War, one of the biggest problems was that everything involving Cap, Bucky, basically the team from the Winter Soldier, were great. But everything with Spider-Man and Iron Man and stuff, it was just excessive and over the top, leading to the the airport battle, which is still the most pointless battle in Marvel history. Oh, but I loved it. I thought that's what everyone says, but it just seems pointless to me. Um, Yes, yeah, it's just they're all gonna fight, right? So now they're finally together. Meeting was Cap versus Iron Man. That that had some emotional weight to it. Yeah. The the big civil war, which was not very big and not very warish, it was just a battle on an airplane on an airport tarmac. Yeah, was just fun. I mean, it was fun to see Ant Man. And you know what the best part of that battle was? Which you forgot to mention. I meant to bring up way in the beginning was my favorite T'Challa so far in any of the movies is him almost killing and then deciding not to kill Zemo. 
And that sure. was actually way more interesting finale, part of the finale than the actual finale of that movie was the look on his face when he, when he, when he processes what's going on between Bucky Cap and, and, and Tony and right. he looks at Zemo and he decides not to hate. And that I think informs, you know, his character in, in this. Um, well, it's why he doesn't claw when he has the chance. And it's why he doesn't kill, kill arguably why he freezes with Killmonger the first time, I think. Um, you know, well, he, I think he, he, the first time you're talking about in the one-on-one combat. Yeah, I mean, he loses fair and square, but I don't yeah, think he, he has his head on straight he because he's still processing that his dad is responsible for this. That might be true. Um, so um, do you think any of the... Uh, other either phase two phase three characters or phase four characters like there's no chance we see captain marvel in infinity war part one right that seems unlikely maybe as a post-credit stinger mm-hmm. it i seems, mean they're filming it yeah. already so well I, I think i'm already disappointed and, and i think part of the reason i'm so salty at thor agnarok was primarily Kate blanchett's character i really wanted to see hella be a hella capable villain who was basically Lady Death from the comics? Yes, was both a prediction and a desire of mine. I don't care about the prediction part, but I thought it would be way cooler if they set her up as the person behind Thanos, who was actually using Thanos on her way to becoming way more powerful than him, and not even needing the Infinity Gauntlet, for example. That's what or I was some hoping. kind of love interest because yeah. Thanos is in love with the the grim the with the specter of yeah. death or this female personification of death. That's why he does everything that he does. He's like, if I destroy this planet, Lady Death will love me. Yeah. So yeah, Hela was maybe... I wanted to see the, you know in Fellowship of the Ring, when she's briefly tempted and you see the, the Dark Queen yeah. version of Galadriel? That's what I wanted to see. Instead, we got Denethor. A bubble, <laughs> babbling, almost comical if it wasn't tragic, you know... I think she Pathetic was a little bad guy. Than Denethor, um, but she, she couldn't even keep Asgard together. She was trusting yeah, what's his face. He was a fucking buffoon. The structure of the movie is a little weird where you introduce the bad guy in the first 15 minutes or so. Then you send the heroes somewhere where the bad guy has zero influence and literally everything until they come back is just basically her sitting on a chair. Yep. So it, it sort of felt like, I, I don't know. Maybe have him on Sakaar, and then maybe have Hella show up. But especially after was, you have the beginning, so brilliant of Loki being a terrible leader, and the Matt Damon reveal, which by the way is maybe the funny. best gag in Marvel, like like a single second gag, like Agreed. in all of Marvel, was the Matt Damon playing Loki in the play. Uh, yeah. was amazing, and Loki being a terrible leader disguised in a terrible version of, of looking like his dad. But then she basically was just the same thing, so whatever. We're getting off track from Black Panther. My point being, yes, I agree with you. I hope Thanos is dead at the end of this movie, but I also hope a bunch of the Avengers are dead at the end of this movie. You've set the stakes so high, and now we've got an adult movie where people die, including people we care about. By the way, I think the Dora Milaje who dies is in the comics her and um fuck what's her name the, who's the the lead the lead Dora Milaje um Okoye Okoye so Denai Guerrero's character yeah I think Okoye has a lesbian lover who's a Dora Milaje in the more recent comics I have to go back I had to heard it something about that, that and so I think that was from LGBT community that, yeah. that that was left out and they got a bit of a point 
Yeah. Um, well, that's they, I think especially because the woman who's killed and she reacts so strongly. It's like you know in Wonder Woman when um, when Robin Wright's character goes down and like right. a younger woman who's clearly her lover comes running to right. her, her side, but it's not really talked about. It's not a big deal in Themyscira because you just assume lesbianism is clearly going on everywhere. The, why wouldn't it be here? Yeah, yeah. they could have easily explored that because it's set up in the more recent comics. I think I, I was gonna say I think the the one who dies is the is the lover Io or whatever her name is. Um, Except. Okoye and Daniel Kaluuya are are in this movie, yeah, right. So I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. that was that was unnecessary, but it's a fair complaint. But at the same time, the Dora Milaje in the comics are not just soldiers; they're wives in training for the king. And I was pretty glad they left that out because that shit would be pro- is problematic in any setting. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's a, a weird ass thing, especially when. Like Dora Milaje are picked when they're pretty young, so there, there's this question of are they can they even consent to this life? Mm-hmm. So just having them be soldiers, I was kind of okay with that. Yeah. Well, cheers to the entire Black Panther team. Thank you. Congratulations. Great work. I'm still not excited about comic book movies going forward right now. I'm not excited about Ant Man and the Wasp. I'm not particularly excited about Captain Marvel. Maybe I will become more so. I, I can't even believe there's going to be another Doctor Strange movie. Um, <laughs> is it possible they start spinning off Black Panther related movies? Like Shuri gets a movie and, and that would be what I'm most excited for. Yeah. And I agree with you of all the things you just said, I want more Wakanda. I yeah. would love a TV show that just explores life in Wakanda. I, I would totally get behind that. And half these actors started out as TV actors. I mean, mm-hmm. Letitia Wright and Daniel Kaluuya, both have been on Black Mirror. So they both know how to act in a one hour. You know, Black Mirror episodes are self contained, but they could do one hour stuff instead of two and a half hour stuff. Um, and fucking Angela Bassett, her latest roles have all been American Horror Story. Yeah. So she also has experience as a TV actor. So, well, you know. I think that's a great point to end on, man, which is that we know Disney's launching a major streaming service that's, that's probably going to cost $20 a month to be frank I, I would not probably. be surprised if CBS is trying to charge what $12 I've just canceled mine by the way thank you CBS um, and, I finished Discovery and I'm done and you got Jessica Jones coming in a few weeks which we'll save Hell for another yeah. podcast but, and I want to finish Dark which is really cool okay but, cool um, so um, uh, and so Disney's going to need content that's not just its movies although it certainly could do just its movies and cartoons right. that are there. But they've talked about they're going to make some new Marvel series that there's they're definitely on. Well, first of all, there's definitely both a Star Wars live action and at least one new Star Wars animated series that are going to be launched probably leading into or after the launch of the service. Like that's mm-hmm. pretty much confirmed. We know that probably the cartoon what I'm hearing from people who have a little inside knowledge, is we might finally be getting the Star Wars cartoon we want, which is Luke, Leia, and Han after Return of the Jedi, before all the new movies. I think it's going to be like the Adventures of Luke Skywalker kind of thing. Um, it was what the fans want. So we'll see if that happens, as well as probably something completely out of the ordinary. The live action show has long been rumored to be a scum and villainy thing, you know, with Boba Fett and bounty hunters and stuff like that. So we'll see about that. But yeah, a Marvel show. Yeah, you could totally spin Black Panther. Um, and actually, recently, I've started to think that part of the reason, I mean, I, DC's a mess and, you know, 
Joss Whedon is involved, but I think part of the reason they keep pushing Batgirl back is I we know DC is also starting a streaming service if they haven't already, and I think Batgirl is exactly the kind of show you put on that streaming service, like with Supergirl or whatever, but maybe a little bit darker, uh, especially Whedon being a TV guy arguably being better at TV than movies even, um, would make a lot of sense. So, yeah, so do you think that's possible? Black Panther TV show? That would be awesome. Wakanda? Anything's possible. I have no idea what their plans are. I mean, Kevin Feige just gave a quote where he said, you know, where he said, we definitely want to bring, do more with Black Panther and we hope Ryan Coogler will come back. I don't think Ryan Coogler would do a TV show. I think he would, he would want to do another movie. And I'd, be totally fine with that. I mean, I'd be more excited for a a Black Panther sequel than for more Doctor Strange Ant-Man, which I liked, or this Captain Marvel thing that I mean, I don't it's going to be set in the 90s. I it doesn't seem like they're putting the same energy into it that they put into this. Although um, it's possible they're also trying not to raise expectations and stuff like that as well. Right, be, but they know. did try to raise expectations on Black Panther because they knew they had a movie that would meet them. Which, like, every time a new Marvel movie comes out, they, you know, Twitter goes nuts beforehand. Is like, this is the best Marvel movie ever. Okay. They did it with Civil War, and it wasn't. They did it with uh, Guardians 2, and it wasn't. So I was a little scared that I was going to see another Marvel movie that wasn't didn't quite live up to the hype and right. was amazed when I saw a movie that actually did, that could – could be called the best Marvel movie ever. My personal preference, I still put Avengers yes. over it. Yes. But that's literally the only one that I, I would make an argument is better than this. I mean, that's I mean, the Winter dangerous. Soldier is higher on my personal list, but I'm not going to argue better. Yeah. Um, in terms of rewatchability, I'll definitely watch this movie again from time to time, but I've seen sure. Captain America the Winter Soldier a ton. That's just a super rewatchable movie, as sure. is the first Avengers. Yeah. Um, and, and so is Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy 1, yeah. but I would say this is better than Guardians. Yeah. yeah. I laughed more at Guardians, yeah. but I thought this was a better movie. It's just tough. I mean, this movie, it, this movie, like Thor, Ragnarok, did not feel like a comic book movie. I just liked the reasons why this one didn't feel like a comic book movie better than the reasons why Thor Ragnarok didn't feel like a comic book movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know how you build on it. And it's nice, Kevin Feige, that you said this is the best movie you guys have ever made. Now publicly you're saying this, but you know, like, do I believe you? And like, what does that say about your projects <laughs> that you're wrapping up and filming right now? So I don't know. I'm not sure Disney knows. I think Disney... I've been saying this. I think Disney knows more about what it wants to do with Star Wars at this point than Marvel. I, I, Marvel seems to be floundering, especially given the the disaster that's ABC and the Inhumans and everything like that. I, I know they're making tons of money, but you're not going to keep making $800 million on movies like Doctor Strange and Ant-Man forever. Like It's just not going to happen, or maybe it will. I don't know. I, I think... Floundering is a, is an overstatement, an exaggeration. Creatively, I, creatively, sure. I mean, okay. Although people, I haven't liked the season of Agents of Shield because I'm checked out on the show. But most people think it's been one of the strongest seasons. So maybe I it'll keep plugging it. along. We'll see if Jessica Jones two brings some renewed energy to the Mar- the Netflix shows. I mean, I thought Punisher was quite good. Defenders mm-hmm. didn't work. Defenders was a, a miss, but. 
Um, no, I like Punisher a lot, and I'll, I'll watch the next season of that. And they're going to bring back Kingpin for season three of Daredevil. So if this, you know, with a little bit of a push, the Netflix shows could regain a lot of the energy they had two years ago before the twin bummers of Iron Fist and Defenders kind of killed a lot of it. Yeah. Well, I like Defenders more than most. I could, I still can't get through Luke Cage. I couldn't watch 15 minutes of Iron Fist. So, you know, I, I don't really like the Netflix stuff other than Jessica Jones, even though I like the characters for the most part other than right. Iron Fist. But yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, with Jessica Jones coming up, I will just say I still think Jessica Jones is the best thing Marvel's ever done. And I still think it's probably going to be the most influential. I mean, Jessica Jones is one of Netflix's most, it's the most watched Netflix Marvel show. They've admitted that Netflix has. And right. Jessica Jones, this now in Trump era, I mean, when Jessica Jones 1 came out, things were looking pretty good for America. Now <laughs> people are really going to want to watch Jessica Jones. Maybe. S- season two. A lot e- of people more. I know were turned off on Jessica Jones be- because it well, was too can- real, because. You know, including women. Like my mom doesn't like Jessica Jones, and she wa- and she loved. She binged Punisher in three days, which I didn't know my mom binge watches shows. Yeah. Another but show she, I can't get into. You know, but she found Kilgrave too scary. She found Jessica Jones' character too sad. You know, and she didn't love the action because she's not like a ninja fighter. She's a barroom brawler. So, yeah, it's an it's a incredibly well done show, but it also alienates viewers in a way that i don't know maybe daredevil just doesn't well, alienates it's little, it's, it implies that or, it's actively doing something to piss no, off viewers it doesn't speak to everybody yeah that, that's fine look i've had to bribe and prod and push and pull my mom to watch jj like right. I, I i told my mom because she's been promising forever and now jc i said mom i'm not seeing black panther with you until you watch jessica jones before the new season. That's partially just because she can't even see, she doesn't have time to see Black Panther for a couple weeks, so I'm, I'm not really going to stick to that, man. But I'm, I'm trying to push her as hard as I can because uh, I know she she will like it, I think. But she was having trouble getting through it, too. I'm not going to judge their generation. Our generation, if you like Game of Thrones and House of Cards and those sorts of shows and you don't like Jessica Jones, I'm still going to be your friend and it's not going to affect my respect level for you, but it it doesn't help my respect level for your appreciation of, of television. <laughs> and it's partially just cause I'm a, a I'm, I am, I am as critical of television as you are of movies, you know? And so right. it, it, like, it takes a lot for you to like a movie. It takes a lot for me to like a TV show. Jessica Jones is so clearly well acted and written to, to me that I just can't understand. But some people think Daredevil's a brilliant show and I think it's just okay. So, you know, fair enough. it's fair enough. So yeah, so we'll see. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what your reaction is. I'm certainly going to binge it. So I don't know how, I, I kind of hate this Netflix model. I kind of like it, but hate it. Like I, I'm glad I waited on Discovery so I could binge. But then I had a couple weeks, and by the time the finale came around, it did kind of lose momentum for me. But that's also because it like wasn't looking even, forward to it each Sunday night. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. You know, I, I I the weekly thing I think is actually a cool thing because it gives you time to build up your own interest in it. Um, if you just binge it, it doesn't give you any time to appreciate any one episode. So I don't know. I I, I actually like the Discovery model a little bit better. Um, I agree with you. I agree with you, even though it was somewhat of a subpar ending. Um, uh, yes. So, okay, dude. Well, um, I'll let you go. Um, so non-Black Panther question to end. What are you watching these days that's not 
this <laughs> right now. I'm just watching the Olympics, but, uh, after that, you know, I'm going to finish dark, which is this weird German hmm. sci-fi horror thing that kind of, it, it's like if stranger things had adults, it's very weird in German, but it was got this really bleak aesthetic that I really like. Yeah, uh, that sounds like cool. not a bizzle special written all over it. <laughs> I mean, you haven't even watched stranger things. I know. Yet, so. I know. Um, I'm such I just a pussy when it comes season to of black mirror. It oh, was, God. um, a mixed bag, shall we say? Uh, it had a couple of really great episodes and a couple of real stinkers. Um, That's a show I just can't watch because it just makes me like hate the world even more, or just fear the world even more. It's I know a it's show a- that you have to watch like Care Bears after to bring yourself back to even <laughs> it. With the exception of like My one episode each season. It will make you hate the future, technology, social media, and everybody around you. It is an incredibly dark show uh, that is quite well made when it's good, but holy crap, is it depressing. Um, uh, So yeah, I'm watching that. I'm watching the superhero shows. The Legion of Superheroes is finally on Supergirl, and I pretty much just geek out with every episode. Nice. I've been wanting them for two years. You've been talking about that forever. Yep. I was right. They showed up. It's not... You know, there's more they could do with that setting. I still think Supergirl is going to wind up going to the future to visit them at some point. But uh, it's really cool to see some version of the Legion on TV. So, you know, and the Flash is better. Arrow is is lousy. Um, and Constantine is about to show up on Legends of Tomorrow. And I'm really pumped to see Matthew Ryan again. Well, as, as I said uh, in my podcast with Alistair, because he's a big DCCW guy, Arrow is going to go down as the biggest missed opportunity in superhero television of all time because i don't think that's true i think arrow is going to go down as a show that had three great seasons and then they ran out of ideas <sighs> yeah <sighs> i don't know well but uh, that's a missed opportunity to me you know sure i mean most I good mean, tv shows don't even get going till like the second or third season so I, I think they had some poor casting choices but they mostly have a terrible writing team terrible terrible i haven't even tried this season i do like supergirl i've dvr'd the whole season i've only i only watched up until the crossover and i have to catch up on a lot um my problem is i just fall in love with melissa benoist for 23 minutes and then right. forget what happened in the entire show <laughs> um so that's that's my problem so all right maddie well thank you so much uh for being on um really glad you enjoyed the movie um, you know, as I said to, to, to Alistair, I've been saying to my friends, I'm desperately, it doesn't even need to be on the podcast like Last Jedi with all the millions I did for Last Jedi. I'm just trying to get people's opinions who I respect their knowledge and appreciation of film because I have, I feel like I don't have any perspective on this because right. I love the concept and have loved the concept since I was first introduced to it. And so it seems like people are enjoying it and it seems like the haters are going to fail on this, which makes me happy. And it's more importantly, our kids are continuing to get movies, you know, like this and wonder woman and, um, and stuff. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, God damn it. We need change in this country. Sure. Um, May I uh, end the show with a uh, a tweet that I've enjoyed? Please. This is from uh, Hollywood Palm cinema in Illinois. Mm Mm-hmm. Earlier, we received some negative feedback to posts highlighting the fantastic world of Black Panther, saying, welcome to Wakanda. These complaints stress to us that Wakanda is not real. (laughs) Hollywood Palms apologizes for the error. 
We did not wish to give the false impression that Wakanda, a country with bulletproof suits that fit in small containers, flying cars, and gender equality was a real place. We would also like to take this opportunity to apologize to any Sokovian refugees, citizens of Kamartaj, or visitors from far off Asgard who may have been offended. Oh, that's hilarious. That's Sokovian refugees. That, that is priceless. Priceless. Oh, boy. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, certainly, this was a bright spot in 2018 already. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that 2018 is going to start shaping up like 2015, which was the last great film year uh, that I can remember. Um, but I have to say, you, if you look at the list of blockbuster movies this year, it's not looking great. It's a lot of Pacific Rim, and you're probably excited about Pacific Rim. I'm hopeful, but I don't know. Um, I'm mad on Pacific Rim. Okay, I thought you liked the first one. Came I liked the first one. Okay, but, like you got to make these movies a little bit faster to retain people's it's interest. True. Like you can't make a Sin City movie ten years after the first one comes out and That's think true. anyone's still going to want to see it. You know, you can't make Avatar eight years after it comes out and still think the same numbers of people are going to want to see it. So I feel like they waited way too long to make the next Pacific Rim. Yeah, and I think. I, although I love John Boyega, I, I don't know that he has enough star power and charisma to carry what was already a movie about monsters punching robots that got some following after it left theaters, right? And then, as you point out, has waited way too long to capitalize on that. I don't know that he can he can do it, but we'll see. The actors in the first movie weren't good, and it still ended up being really enjoyable, so perhaps... Um, and uh, yeah, it's we'll, we'll we'll have to see. I certainly was uh, w- really disappointed at the Academy Awards stuff, but that stuff I always. I for the most part agreed with them. Did um, you? I I my get problem out. was more with the nominations actually than the actual winners. I, there were like a lot of well, we actors who's going to win the Academy Awards yet. Um, that that's what I mean. Sorry, it's been a long weekend. Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. Do you mean the Golden Globes? You were frustrated with that? No, no, no. What I was trying to say was my problem was has been with the nominations. Right. I generally end up of whom they nominate. I generally think it's okay their choice as who wins, but there's just a lot of bizarre. Cho- I mean, there's a lot of movies that are that seem like people of Roger Ebert's generation pick the movies. It seems like every single year it's old white people who are choosing the movies. Um, so yeah, oh, the Golden Globes was a disaster. But that's yeah, yeah. But those are like that's a shadowy cabal of like weird European old men. Yeah. So you can't. <sighs> they don't know. They don't know anything. Don't um, know you know, I Get Out got the nominations. I thought it deserved. Uh, Lady Bird got a lot of nominations, which is a fantastic movie that I recommend everybody go see. Mm-hmm. Uh, shape of water okay fine you know it's it's the new it's 2018's pan's labyrinth so it's going to get a bunch of nominations and phantom thread is as good as people say it is so i i actually think okay. for the most part they got it right i think it's also like i'm just sick of the the backloading of, of the film schedule and sure but that I mean, like that's- i need to see you know 12 movies between December 3rd and January 15th or whatever. And when I've had the whole year to, to marinate on other movies, um, 
like Logan, for example. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, whatever. It's just awards. It's just what people see, you know. It's just it's amazing that movies like Black Panther can do so well, and yet movies like Jurassic World and Fast and Furious do so well. I, I wonder how it must be tons of crossover based on numbers, but. People like cars and dinosaurs. I don't know anyone who liked Jurassic World, and it made one point six billion dollars. I don't know anybody who thought that was a good movie. It it doesn't matter whether it's good or not. The people who grew up in the nineties are now the people that are being targeted by Hollywood. Like, it's no coincidence that one of the highest grossing movies in the last few years was that. That one of the highest grossing mobile games in the last two years was a Pokemon game, or that. At one point last year, there were, I believe, four different comics on the shelves at the same time about the original cast of the Power Rangers. Not even making that up. (laughs) People love Power Rangers. I bought all of them. I still read the Power Rangers comic. Like, 90s are the nostalgia thing now. So, yeah, Jurassic Park, that's going to come, that came back and made a lot of money because people like dinosaurs and they liked Mm. that dinosaur movie when they were kids. Yeah, I don't think Jurassic Park has aged particularly well, um, and not because of the special effects. Just the, as someone pointed out, whether it's the Jurassic Park movies or the Alien movies, these all these these movies are based on the assumption that everyone in the movie is just dumb and <laughs> makes increasingly bad decisions. And that's why movies like The Martian are so great. And why can't we get more movies like The Martian, where we have smart, capable people dealing with bad situations? In interesting ways, right? Sure. I mean, Black I mean, Panther was a movie with tons of capable people dealing with the situation as smartly as they could once they realized what was going on. But that's not most of these. Right. Well, I mean, Jurassic Park is about kids who are terrified for their lives because giant reptiles are, well, yeah. are trying to eat them. Someone described uh, Jurassic World to me in a way that almost makes me want to see it. She said, um, all you need to know is that in the last 20 minutes, a woman in high heels leads a T-Rex to a giant uh, like shark dinosaur, and then the, dinos- and then the T-Rex has a convers- an extended conversation with the Velociraptor or something like that. I'm like, that sounds pretty interesting. Everything you're <laughs> describing is correct. <laughs> the T-Rex and the, and the raptors, and, sorry, spoiler, it was three years ago, That's fuck okay. you, go watch it. Yeah. Uh, the T-Rex and the Velociraptors <laughs> and the shark monster basically team up to kill the Indominus Rex, which is basically a T-Rex with long arms that can communicate with raptors. God, it's like how, a weird mutant dinosaur, I, whatever. I mean, How are they going to top that? I I don't know. I, I I think Chris Pratt is flirting big time with overexposure, but we'll see. And I, I like think Chris that's Pratt. Certainly true. But you know, whatever. He's not gonna be a star forever, so he may as well make as much as he can right now. And I think that was actually my again, like I said, I was salty because of Kate Blanchett with Thor. I was salty with uh with with Guardians because Chris Pratt was not charming funny roguish chris pratt from the first movie he was like whiny reverting to acting like a kid and worshiping his evil father chris pratt um right yeah he had moments but not nearly as many i thought the best part of guardians 2 i liked kurt russell a lot Mm. and michael rooker i thought he was the best best because you know and oh yeah the fact that you feel anything going out of that movie is completely michael rooker 
Yeah, like the death at the end, the sacrifice, there is actual real emotional yeah. weight to those scenes. Yeah. I do wish it wasn't oversaturated with this giant color explosion nonsense. Yep. But that moment where he sacrifices him, that's real. Like that there's mm. some real feeling in those scenes. Uh but you know, they're just everybody else is just constantly laughing at their own jokes. Like I like Drax, but Drax spends a lot of time laughing at how funny Drax thinks he is. Yep. Um, Actually, and he Baby was, Groot uh, is cute, but not – you know, a cute? teenage Groot was funnier. I'm sorry. Who's cute? Baby Groot was cute, oh, Baby but Groot. it's the same joke over and over again for the whole movie. Yep. Yeah, I think that was also a case of us just knowing all the funny parts ahead of time, basically. And so, um, or like, you yeah, know. Well, I mean, it's the same joke. It's just him saying, I am Groot with the helium voice and being right. dumb. And nothing is funnier than Groot, sorry, than Groot stabbing that thing. Uh, I'm sorry, Drax stabbing that thing over and over again like a maniac. And like, that was in the, I think half the funniness was in the first like 10 minutes of that movie. Um, but uh, it was, but I, I didn't love that that big fight was happening in the background while Baby Groot was dancing for five minutes. I, I I didn't I didn't think that joke worked. I would have rather seen the actual fight, and then yeah. maybe they could cut to Baby Groot dancing with the music playing. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, look, they got their reset with Black Panther, and we'll see how they use it going forward after a bunch of goofiness. So. You know, it's a fine line. I mean, we go after the DCEU for taking itself too seriously. Ultimately, we're going after them for making bad movies. Um, but part of it's taking itself too seriously. Um, so, all right, man. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for saying for the postscript. Always good to catch up on everything. And uh, we'll have you on. If, if you really like Jessica Jones or have feelings about it, we'll have you on in a month or so. Word. Um, cool. Well, thanks, brother. All right. All right. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Maddie. And you'll be hearing from us soon. We are out.